it's me, the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the Hotels app to find me, your perfect somewhere. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. Good morning, honey holers. I don't know how to do the intro now that Cliff's like Cliff's on break. He's on extended vacation. I almost want to do like he's on paternity leave, right? (laughs) I almost want to do like a Ira Glass. Like, hello, good morning. Welcome to Honey Hole NPR. (laughs) 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 What we need to do is just like uh, a lot of podcasts I listen to, they have voiced intros. Like where they record it? Where they record it or it's like a hodgepodge of like things that have happened on the show or like, you know, with like explosions and all kinds of like exciting sounds like intro the show. And they have what the show is in the description of it. So all you have to do is play that, and then we don't have to say good morning or whatever. Thing. When that is over, we can just start talking. That's not a bad idea. But we got to figure out how to do that. Just take a sound, make it into a sound bite. Take something, make it into a sound bite, and right. then edit, put explosions into it. Go find the best time that Cliff ever did a good morning. Maybe not the loudest, but the best. I kind of liked Evans last week. That was pretty good. Yeah. I liked when Cliff was doing it, and he was doing unique things every week, and they were actually very creative and very good. Yeah, he was thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, what's, what's Cliff going to do today? <laughs> what's Cliff going to do today? <laughs> How long is it going to be? And then he settled into Good Morning. And then Good Morning became longer and longer and longer. And because louder. he was And louder. Because he was trying to see how long. He was increasing the amount of time he could hold out Good Morning. Yeah. Yeah. Each day. It was great. So, welcome to the show, guys. We are Honey Hole Hangout. We hang out. We talk about hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and uh, we're happy that you guys are listening to us. Today's episode's a little different. It is. There's only two of us. Yeah. And well, you guys are going to hear us, and then uh, what's going to end up happening is we're going to edit an interview that we do at Trout Fest to the back of this. Yes. If we saw you at Trout Fest, thanks for coming. Thank you. We enjoyed seeing you. Mm-hmm. It's weird to say that, even though we haven't been, because this episode is going to come out after Trout Fest. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for coming to see us at Trout Fest, guys. Yes, thank you. (laughs) We hope you had a great time. Well, what's our first thing? We do whiskey review? Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Okay. You need more whiskey, apparently. Apparently. I'm like, well, so what happened was, is we did the pre-show, which we're going to release onto Discord, or the link will be on Discord. So if you're not on our Discord... Go to the description of this podcast, uh-huh. click on the link that says Discord, join it. It is a community chat room. There's lots of memes and funny stuff happening. Actually, Odom joined. 
I did see Odom join. Did you see? I've made rules. I put I community guidelines. And you know what? You start adding more people. Rules are always a good idea. Yes. <laughs> so I added some rules. Nothing crazy. Mainly no hot spotting. And no NSFW. Yeah. And no, means, not safe for work. Exactly. Uh, just, you know, be considerate. Be reasonable. Right. My mom's and, on there, so let's not. And no, <laughs> no hot spotting. <laughs> but uh, under the rules, comment added if... Uh, Odom added a comment that said, if you guys want to go fishing, here's the best spot. And it was Calaveras Lake. Yeah, Cal- hey, you know what? If you want to go fight a Calaveras Lake and go, uh, you know, try to get your fish there, do it. Yeah. So I thought that was hilarious. It wasn't really breaking a rule because, no. honestly, we just sent all the new people. Who's, hot, who's hot spotting Calaveras Lake? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Don't go to my fishing hole. Don't catch my redfish out of Calaveras Lake. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like Woodlawn Lake. Have you, have you ever fished Woodlawn? Mm. Okay. Oh, is that the one? Uh, I think I actually have. It's a lake that's kind of like near downtown. Yes, it's like west, just like west of, of downtown. Yeah, just west of downtown. Yeah. It's uh, a good sized little lake. It's like it's a, a pond lake. Yeah, I've never fished there though. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. Have you fished there? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, when, when I was a kid. So I've never fly fished there. Maybe we should try it. Yeah, but you know what? When you're a kid and you're throwing worms and bobbers, anything's fun. Mm-hmm. And you know you're gonna catch something. Mm-hmm. Versus like with a fly rod, I don't know if that lake's gonna gonna be the best. Yeah, you no, know? makes sense. So today we are drinking Jim Bean. Beam. Beam. Yeah. I always said Bean. Yeah, Jim Beam. Beam. Yep, nineteen seventy five. So it's another old bottle. Uh, however, I did not know the Jim Beam. Was around since 1795. Yeah, which is crazy. That would have to make them one of the oldest distillers in the States, I would think. That would, yeah. That would be correct. It is a Kentucky straight bourbon. Yep. Um, It is in a new American oak barrel. Yep. Uh, Mash bill is a sour mash, corn, rye, and barley. Okay. And it's a secret recipe. Uh, 80 proof. Aged for four years. Yep. Average price is $18. Although I bet this bottle is worth more than that, just given that it was distilled in 75. Yeah. But if you were to go buy a bottle of Jim Bean at the store, I think $18 sounds appropriate. Yeah, 12 to 18 Yeah. Depending on how much you want. Um, the pros and cons of Jim Bean are it is a genre-defining bourbon, easy to drink, and it's a great mixer, and it contains no additives or coloring. The cons is it's not complex enough for more experienced bourbon fans. And it's 80 proof means you're not experienced what you might with more complex bourbons. Yep, and it tastes like poopy. You don't like it? I've never been a big fan of Jim Bean. No? Nope. It's. I think for me it's I have one too many um, bad nights with Jim Beam. Mm. You know what I mean? Like from college, you know? And you, hearing you say the M, I always thought it was Bean. <laughs> With an N, <laughs> and you saying Beam is so, throwing so me you off. off. I thought it was, I literally thought it was Jim Beam. <laughs> Jim Beam. And now I'm learning it's Jim Beam, and my mind is just like all over the place. It sounds like you're messing up because Jim is that M, so it's like Jim Beam, <laughs> Jim Beam. <laughs> yeah, no. So on the nose, you should get toasted oak with just a hint of caramel, cinnamon, and candied apple palate. It has spice on entry with vanilla right behind. It does smell nice. Um, finish medium to short finish built largely of oak and pepper spice. For many drinkers, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels were the first American whiskeys they ever tasted. Uh, for many, they're still the only whiskeys of any note. I think for me too, and I'm not going to lie, it's probably a little bit of biasness because like, I do compare Jim Beam to Jack Daniels and being a Tennessee boy, like 
I find it hard that if I'm going to choose like a sub twenty dollar bottle, I'm going to pick Jack ten out of ten times. You mm. know. The last glass I had while we were recording the pre-show uh, was better than this because it was on the ice. Yep, that's the thing. I'm drinking a neat. It it needs a little ice. It it's it'll it's a little. Uh, but I drink everything on ice. Yeah. So that's just my preference, and I know, I know, I know. You don't get to taste as many of the flavors. It changes the profile. It well, does the profile. If but every drink one it of, all you want. Drink it all you want. If my prof, if every profile of mine is on ice, right? Then every profile is on ice. Exactly. It's a little diluted. And that's the way you like it. I like it that way. No, and you know, I like it cold. Actually, most people will tell you that adding a little bit of water to your bourbon and whiskeys actually increases the flavor profile. It does, unless you have an eighty proof and you put a whole chunk of ice in it, then it dilutes it. Because you it's a little too much water. Yeah, and, you're supposed to chill. add a little bit of water to scotch when you drink scotch. Right, it's it, supposed to it open opens up, the up. Fl- yeah. opens up the flavors. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it, you know, this is okay. I, this is a great mixer. You it know? is a great mixer. I I struggle drinking this straight. Yeah, I, I do. Although it's not hor- it's not the worst whiskey we've tried ever. The cool thing is the nostalgia of like this bottle was distilled before I was born. It is cool looking. It's not as cool as the bottle we had last week, which was distilled eighty years ago right. and was freaking delicious. Exactly. And also, I know I'm not a, I'm not a fan of this, be, not because of its age, because we had that one that was older last week, mm-hmm. and that was one of the best whiskeys I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's strictly because I'm not a fan. Well, however they do their recipe at Jim Beam, I'm just not a fan of. I don't know what I'm going to do with that whiskey. Um, it's one of those things where keep it, dude. So like, use it for special occasions and stuff. It's a fan. It's a nice. That's bottle. the thing because I've gotten like bottles before. Like, real, I was gifted like a McAllen like twenty year. I think you did. You drink that with me? The McAllen, I did. Yeah, yeah, dude. That was that was like a three hundred dollar bottle that was gifted to me, and uh, I got with my friends and we drank it all. I didn't feel bad about it. We had a great time. Yeah. And the thing is, I can go to the store and buy that bottle again. Yes. So, yes, it was $300. It was expensive, but I shared it with my friends. We had a good night. It was nice. And whatever. I can buy another bottle. It's not that big of a deal. Right. This bottle, though. You can't replace. Is irreplaceable. Yeah. And I've never been, I've never felt like I've wanted to hoard a bottle before. And I have some like nice bottles, but if I want to bring that bottle to real recovery at night when we're all done and hanging out and share it with everybody there, I, you know, like if I have Blanton's or whatever nice bottle of whiskey I have, I will gladly share that with all my right. friends and have a great time. But this one seems different. But this one is different. And yeah. I'm like, do I want to drink it? Do I not? And we are going to give some to Gabe. Yes. Because Gabe, Gabe has been such a huge help. With the way he's donated whiskey, whiskey for us. And honestly, we haven't paid him back for the Blanton's incident either. No. No. And this is getting us on the right track. <laughs> this is getting us on, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still not 100%. But we're almost there. The Blanton's <laughs> incident of the, 2021. The Blanton's <laughs> incident of 2021. I'm not there for one episode and finished, a disaster no, happens. Nobody told us on the minute. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Gabe did tell us on the minute shit. Um, so. Yeah, not great. Uh, and then I'm going to give one, uh, my father-in-law who actually gave me the bottle wants to try it. So I'm going to give some to him. And then after that, man, the occasion has got to be real special. I don't know. I would save it for special occasions, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know when else, but I do the same thing. Like there's, 
you you find a hard time to actually find a place to open it and drink more of it. You know. Yeah. I'm not getting married again. No. Yes, it's like what's well, the next thing you celebrate? <laughs> yeah. You <know? laughs> Maybe like your ten year anniversary or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've been pondering that bottle actually. I need to like what to do with it. What to do with it? How I want to use it? I want to share it. Yeah. No, because drinking by yourself is boring. Yeah, I like I like sharing and uh, bringing other people into whiskey or like other having other people try good whiskey, especially if someone's like, oh, I'm not a bourbon drinker or whiskey drinker. Well, they probably only ever had mixed drinks, never like really tried a good, yeah, yep. a good bourbon or a good whiskey. So, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Maybe take it to real recovery. But if you did, I would bring like either one of those testers or like a flask of it. You know, yeah. that way you're like, okay, we can drink all of this, but this is it. You know? Yes. Yep. Yeah, no, that's that's otherwise, always a good idea. Otherwise, we have one too many, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're the bottle's empty. Yeah, exactly. And we're like, hey, Landon, thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so I mentioned Discord earlier, but, and how we had a pre-show, Yep. but I don't think I mentioned what we talked about. So if you guys want to listen to what we talked about, uh, we talked about movies and TV shows that we've been into recently. Yep. Zach and I are big movie fans. Oh yeah. And so we talked about some of the movies that we've recently watched in the whole Academy Awards, um, yep. situation yep. that we're not a big fan of. Nope. Like you've got mail, sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia. Yeah, all those movies. Yeah. You have no clue what those movies are, do you? No, I know uh, Philadelphia, Seapless in Seattle. But I don't know what you're referencing. No, just movies we did not talk about. Oh, we did not talk about. I gotcha. Making it seem like we did. Because just two guys on a back porch, sharing some whiskey, talking about Sleepless in Seattle. You know. A walk to remember. Yeah, you know, exactly. Okay. Hey, you yeah. picked up on it now. Okay. You got okay. it. Okay. It took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> the notebook. The notebook. There you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> so we talked about all those movies. So you guys go to our join our Discord and you'll find the links to listen to our uh chat about different movies. Different movies. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Let's get into some articles. Okay. Let's do this one's a little bit more lighthearted. Let's start with it's not really lighthearted, but this one's a little bit easier. Okay. Not as big of an issue, but it's still an issue. Okay. All right. So this is going to be I wish that this would drop. Okay. Uh, this is an article that my dad sent me from GearJunkie.com. We've talked about the TV show alone quite a bit. Yep. Uh, further back in the past. It's like one of our first couple episodes. One of our first couple episodes. But it's been brought up from time to time mm-hmm. because I love the show. It's yeah. it's a great idea for a show. Oh, yeah. And so uh, my dad sent me this article. 30-day uh, survival challenge. Canadian YouTuber charged with violating National Park Act. Yeah, I saw this. Did you see this? Yeah, yeah, because Backpacker uh, showed her somebody. Parks Canada is charging BC native Gregory Ovens and American Zachary Fowler with unlawfully fishing, hunting, discharging firearms, lighting fires, and damaging natural objects and operating a drone inside uh, Banff National Park. Yes, up in Canada, right? That's correct. You might know self-proclaimed survivalist. Gregory Owens and Zachary Fowlery from the History Channel's Alone or YouTube. Mm-hmm. The two met in 2016 while filming the survival reality series in Patagonia. Fowler won that season and walked away with $500,000 cash prize. Three years later, the pair, uh, basically three years later, they started cranking out. They won the show, so now they have a voice in the survival industry, yep. which is a 
big industry. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people into like survival type content. There's a lot of money in survival industry. There's a lot of money. In, and surprisingly, there's a lot of people into survival content that never plan on doing anything with it. It's no. just interesting. Yeah. Did yeah. you? Oh, speaking of sidetrack, did you ever watch Survivor Man? Oh, yeah, with Les Stroud. With Les Stroud. Oh, yeah. My goal in life <laughs> right now uh-huh. is to get Les Stroud on our podcast. Okay, that's a good goal. Yeah, I like that goal. I think yeah. it's good. It's attainable. I think it's attainable. Yeah. You know? And Kevin brownie Bacon. points if he can sit at our table. Oh, that'd be cool. But, yeah, that's my that's that my new neat. goal in life. Guys, it's probably going to be a five-hour episode, but, uh, yeah, my new goal is to get Les Stroud on the podcast. That would be but, really cool. Yeah, Survivor Man, uh, I used to watch that growing up. So, But, yeah, survival content, is, so many people uh, love survival content. Oh, yeah. Whether they're into that, like into survival or not. Um, they are now faced uh, with legal action over violations that took place while filming their self-produced 30-day survival challenge in 2019. They'll each have to dole out uh, 110000 in, fi- in fines if found guilty. Yep. The allegations stem from multi-year investigation undertaken by Parks Canada uh, and another group. The joint inst- investigation was spurred by public report. It's probably someone watching their YouTube channel and saying, these guys are doing something that is a- are doing things that are illegal in Canada's national parks. Yeah. Most people that get charged in national parks get charged because they video or picture themselves for social media. They post it and they get reported Based on those postings, yeah. you should never do it. Even if you don't do that, but you should never do it. But that's that's correct. You should never do it. But uh, I'm sure someone watched their YouTube video and right. was like, "You can't do those things in national parks." Yeah, and, and turned them in. Uh, they have appeared in court several times, including an appearance on February 9th of this year. Uh, authorities have issued a warrant for Fowler, who seems to be practicing a survivalist method known as hide-and-seek. <laughs> Is that what it says? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Something tells me he won't end up winning a stack of cash this time. <laughs> I, he's a survivalist method known as hide-and-seek from the authorities. That's funny. Survivalist method known as hide-and-seek. Um, Ovens faces six charges, and Fowler faces seven. Charges against both bushcraftmen include damaging and destroying vegetation, discharging firearms, catching and retaining Yellowstone cutthroat trout, other fishing offenses, lighting fires, and using an unpermitted drone inside national park boundaries. I'm not a drone professional, but even I knew that I had to get a drone to take down the Smith River. A permit. A permit. A permit. And I know, like, every state park or national park, you have to have permits to take a drone. Do you think you know not to um, fire you or use a firearm in a national park? Oh, I know not to use a firearm yeah. in a national park, especially if you're a survivor. That seems common sense. Yeah. L- listen, this this gets better. Okay. Um, according to Canada National Parks Act regulations, fishing within Canada's national parks requires a specific fishing permit. Uh. Uh. They require fishing a special specific fishing permit, right? And like more, uh, uh, like the other fishing licenses don't apply. So, for example, uh, let's say this is not what the regulations are, but let's just say uh, you buy a Texas fishing license, but then you go to Guadalupe State Park and they require a special license right. to fish fish there. Not unheard of. Not unheard of. A lot of other states do it. Yeah. A lot of other national parks do it. You have to get a special lines if you're, license if you're going to spe- fish a specific area. Right. Makes sense. So they did not have that specific um, license. Uh, 
except for the two trout limit that applies to Lake uh, Minnewanka Reservoir, possession of any fish caught in Banff Park territory is a criminal offense. The same regulations state that firearms and hunting are against park rules. Uh, the unpermitted use of drones within park boundaries are also strictly prohibited. So they uh, got hundred over a hundred grand in fines each. Correct. And they were over there for over thirty days. They were they were doing a thirty day survival challenge okay. in the national park. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. This gets better. Ovens' response to allegations. Ovens is disputing the charges, citing a lack of public notice from the park's administration. He did it in a YouTube video. Wait, wait. So he's saying that because the park didn't notify him that he was doing something illegal. No, no. Just listen. Okay. Just okay. Let me finish the quote. We're not denying that we were doing these things, Ovens told CBC. It's obvious in the videos, but it's just principle that they don't do anything to let the public know when they change the rules. Well, that's not how it works. And plus, I doubt they changed all of those rules before they did them anyways. No, they did not change all those rules within a 30-day period no. of them filming. If they changed one rule, that is an acceptable defense. Right. But as hunters, we know... We have to know the regulations by county yes. in Texas that we're going to hunt in. That day. That day. Yeah, it's not like it's a And it's a specific out. process of, like, you have to have the tag in the right place. And you have to tag. Right. You have to, like, cut your tag whenever you shoot a the certain animal. Way, yeah. A certain way. And you have to sign it. If it's not signed, it's official. I right. saw seen so many people on Lone Star Law get tickets because they do everything right except they don't write their name on the back of their tag. Of their hunting license? Of their, of their tag. Of their tag. Yeah. So, it's just, it's not, a, it's a pretty, honestly, shitty defense. Yeah. It really is. We didn't know that they were going to change rules. Basically, they're saying we didn't read the rules, so they shouldn't apply to us. Yes. When, as hunters, and the people that hunt, and the people that fish, fishing doesn't have as strict of regulations of hunting. It's not as difficult to fish right. per regulations. But, if you hunt, you know how hard it is to know the rules. Right. And to follow the rules appropriately. And so for them to go bushcrafting and like break a couple rules and then their defense is we didn't know and they didn't let they didn't let us know what the rules are. It is your duty if you're using the national park right. to know the rules and know what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do before you take part Every in a third day challenge. Single day, yes. Make sure that you are up to date no matter what you're doing. Especially in a national park. Like if you wanted to do this like, go ask some, like, big landowner, can yeah. we film a 30-day survival cha- challenge on your property? Yeah. And you can do whatever the hell Harvest you want. A few fish. You can take a few fish, you know, within regulation. Right, right. Within regulation, you know, but you could fly a drone, and, like, some of these other rules wouldn't apply. But a national park. Yeah. It's kind of like they're just asking for trouble. Yes. You know? And then filming it to YouTube, they're yeah. especially asking for trouble. Yes, yeah. So that they survived, like, however many days. It's just like I have such a hard time believing that they thought they were in the clear when they were doing this, you know? I can't believe... I, I don't think that they thought they were that they could be in the clear. Not only that, we have talked about alone on this show and how many rules there are that you have to follow on that show. You right. have to... You have you can't kill every type of animal that you see. No, they even they limit them on what they can and can't kill. They limit them on what they can and can't kill based on regulations. Right. And then they're also limited to a certain area, so they're not going into each other's area. They right. have boundaries right. that they're they, not supposed to cross. They have a big area. It's they have like, rules to follow there. It's know. like two or three square miles, I think. So right. they do have a big area in and of itself. But for some people, for surviving for that long on the show and following those rules, 
and knowing that there's regulations. Right. It's just it's just not it's just not a good excuse. I hope these guys get Me too. I hope these it, I don't think that this is a case of I accidentally didn't sign the back of my fishing license or no. I only broke the drone permit. I didn't know the drone permit was an if, issue. If that was the only one, I could see that. Yeah. You know, if you only forgot to get a permit, I could see that being a thing, you yeah. know. But everything else just doesn't make any sense. No. The to play dumb, you know. And then like I know the cutthroat trout thing is a big deal because they are a not endangered species, but they're a wild or native species. Yeah, they're a native species and they're sensitive in a lot of areas and a lot of like New Mexico, Colorado, you cannot keep a cutthroat no, trout. No, there's not there's not a limit for them at all. So before I went to Canada and went to that national park and was gonna go fishing for those trout, I would sure as heck be looking into uh Making sure I knew my, what, all my regulations. Especially if I was going to film it and put it online. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll follow this story. What I kind of want to do is, uh, what I really want to do, my dad sent me this article I read, and I was like, this would be, because what I want to do on YouTube a little bit, to get away from like our traditional, just like, we're going fishing videos, and the occasional fly tying video, I want to do like reporting style video. Yeah. And this would be a good one to do. It would. Because there's a lot of fair use things I could do. Like he, like I could show clips of their video as long as I'm using it in fair use and making mm -hmm. commentary about it. So I could go over their content and their apology yep. and explanation video. And I could like talk through that as content. I think that would be interesting. Uh, I think that might, I think I want to do that. Yeah, you could do that. I'm going to mess around with it. I think so. I'm going to mess around with it. Yeah. I think that might be a little bit easier video to do, too, than some of the other stuff we do. Oh, yeah. Because the fishing videos are... Effort. It takes a day of fishing. It takes a full day of filming and then a couple hours of editing at least. Oh, yeah. So, have you been fishing anytime recently? I have not. I got invited to go on Friday, but yeah. I got something going on. I do have Friday off, and I'm going to go out there and start setting up early. Booth. I got, I went fishing Saturday or Sunday, but I ripped a fly right out of a bass's mouth. So, mm. did you go by yourself? Yeah. Invite me. <laughs> well, I went on a bike ride and I like I fished at ponds along my way. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I use that little rare rod, the one that has like the internal guides. Yeah. Because it's like I can throw it in my back pocket pretty much, and then just hop on my bike, hit the park, and then like every little pond, I would stop and un untelescope it, do a couple casts, mm -hmm. work my way around the little pond and hop yeah. back on my bike and go. Cool. So yeah. Yeah. I only had one I only have one fish even kind of go after it. And I was so excited and he went, he opened his mouth. He had it in his mouth, but instead of strip setting it, I raised my rod and I was already like at a higher elevation from him anyways. And I just saw that thing go bloop. Mm. Rookie moves, Zach. I know. I haven't. I haven't fished. You think time. that you, being on a <laughs> podcast that we talk about fly fishing, that you wouldn't yeah. make rookie moves like that, Zach? I know. Well, it happens. You know, it happens. Especially, and you know what? If you don't use it, you lose it. So yeah, go fish. I've been fishing in a while. I know. Outside of like a winter break, that was the only time. Yeah, I want to go, but things have just been. I got COVID. That's what I told Kendall, too. I was like, we haven't been because, like, we spent half the year sick so far. Yeah. Or I have. 
Yeah, no, I agree. So. I agree. So that's my first article. Okay. Uh, you said your second article is pretty tough, pretty like hard hitting. Uh, it's pretty hard hitting. It's kind of a big deal. Okay, something so, we need to talk about. So let's move let's, on to yours. I need a break anyway because I don't do creature watch. I'm not doing creature watch this week. I thought so. In our little honey hole, uh, our honey hole text group, there was a um, a discussion about whether or not you think beans belong in chili, right? And I am on the opposite side where I actually prefer and I enjoy beans being in my chili. Do you know what you know my opinion? What? I don't care. Really? Either the chili is good or the chili is not good. Okay. I don't care. Like I like beans. I don't mind being be- I don't mind beans being in the chili if the chili's good. Right. And the chili cannot have beans and it can be good as well. I really don't care. Yeah, I think it's one of those pointless arguments. But there's some people who like take this to their grave that like they. It's they, like the like, toilet paper's got to be a certain way. Like I don't care. Like the toilet paper comes off the roll either way. Yeah, no, but it's easier if it goes. I mean, I you have cats, so it's different. But like, it's easier in everybody else's household if it goes over the top, not under the bottom. Yeah, I really don't care. No, I like care I've about. never thought, like sat down and like never been able to unroll toilet paper. I've never been like, huh? If it was rolled the other way, that would be easier. <laughs> Just pull it off and then do my business. No, it comes off so much easier if you go over the top. Ah, uh, we didn't have a we didn't have a, a poll, an Instagram poll. Now over the top, under the bottom. I will say though, uh, if you have cats, an argument against over the top is they can. I don't care. Top. Yeah, but an argument against over the top is that if they start that roll and they paw it, you're gonna unroll your whole roll of toilet paper. Yeah. So argument against. That, but yeah, if you have I don't cats. really care. The only thing that is, let's see, what before you get into your article, okay. what are some diehard arguments that we have that we're like, just like one of those weird things that we won't ever let go? Obviously, we're Texas Tech fans. I think anybody that has an alma mater, like Evan's a hardcore Aggie fan. Right. It just your it alma mater follows you, so like obviously we're gonna root for Tech, right. Regardless of what the facts of the situation. Are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I'll still put Tech winning my my final four. For March Madness. Yeah, but I think that's realistic this year. But anyway, <laughs> that might be biased <laughs> to my point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But last year I did too. So, um, San Antonio tacos versus Austin tacos. Yep. That is one of those big arguments. And I am, uh, as someone who's lived in Austin, someone who lives in San Antonio, I would have to say San Antonio tacos are better. Yeah. And most people here would say that, and most people in Austin would say Austin that tacos Austin are tacos are better. Yeah. And I'm not saying Austin tacos are bad, because they do have good tacos. No, they definitely they have really good tacos. They have really good tacos. But, like, if we're on a scale, San Antonio's a 10, and Austin's a 9. Yeah, it's close. It's close. But San Antonio has better tacos. Yes. Yeah. So what are some of those other arguments? Ooh, okay, so other ones. Uh, what What is a kolache to you? A kolache? Yeah. Is like uh, I wouldn't say like a croissant, but it's a roll that has uh, some kind of filling on the inside. And what kind of filling typically? Uh, usually meat, but okay. I've had some without meat. So uh, the one you're talking about is actually called a klobasniki. Okay. Right. Uh, kolache is more like a Danish, right? Where you have like the pastry on the outside, and then you have more fruit 
kind of like in a pool in the center. And I don't like those. I like. Oh, really? I love those. No. Just like a little cream cheese one. Yeah, mm. not a fan of those. Uh, but I do like the traditional, what I said of an explanation of a kolache is. Yeah. With like the uh, jalapeno cheddar sausage in the middle with a little Ooh, bit of cheese. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care. I, I, I call it a kolache though. When I uh, was working for Orvis, I got sent to the Houston store one time for like two weeks. Oh, to help did you out. go to the little check store? Uh, well, yes, the check store on the way. Well, no, the check store I always stop at if I'm going north to Dallas. That's true because it's, it's like. But there right was there. a kolache place across from this from the Orvis store, and I go there every morning, and they had a pepperoni kolache that was so freaking good. That sounds really. And good. And I would go there every morning, and I get that and a cup of coffee for breakfast. Now, was it just pepperoni on the inside? No, it was pepperoni and, like, other stuff, but I don't remember what the other stuff was, but the main mm. the main thing, I love pepperoni, so when I saw yeah. that, I was like... There's a uh, there's a kolache shop near here, actually, on Hebner, and... Yeah, I saw it the other day. I actually went there one morning. Um, it's actually pretty good. I actually went there. It's, if you go down... Uh, no, it's on De Zavala. If you go down to De Zavala, and then it's on the left, it's, like, kind of across the street from the school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I went down there, me and McKenna drove by it, and we're like, you know, we drive by this all the time, we've never been there, but mm-hmm. it was in the evening, so it was closed. The next uh, morning, I'm like, I'm going to go. Yep. I go, they're closed. Really? Short staff for COVID. So, they're uh, like half limited days. Gotcha. But that reminds me, tomorrow morning, I might stop by. Yeah, do it. It's good. Because uh, I think they are open on, uh, tomorrow would be a Wednesday, Yep. and I think they're closed on like Monday, Tuesday. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, they have... Um, they have a really good deal where you get like two kolaches and a coffee too. It's okay. like four or five bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the place to go. Um, but it's not a kolache, even though they call it one. What's it called again? Klobaniski. A klobaniski. Yeah. Okay. So you can tell them that. Okay. I'll, tell, I'll let them know. <laughs> uh, okay. The next. But honestly, you told me that. An argument, another argument I don't care about. No. Like toilet paper, I don't care about. Chili, I don't care about. Kolache, not. Doesn't matter to me. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. Mustard and hot and barbecue sauce does not belong there. Mustard does not belong in barbecue sauce. Yeah. So like a true Texas Texan barbecue sauce does not have mustard anywhere near it. I would have to. Are we talking? Because <laughs> I well, I don't like mustard and I don't like mustard in barbecue sauce. When I worked when I was in high school. I worked at a church camp called Camp Butman. It uh-huh. was very close to where I lived. I worked in the kitchen, did a lot of the cooking. Did you make mustard barbecue sauce? We made a mustard, a homemade from scratch mustard-based barbecue sauce, and it was delicious. Yeah. And uh, I just like barbecue sauce. Yeah, true. I like um, any any and all barbecue sauce. Like I'll go to the grocery store. I'll buy like four different ones. Yeah. Mustard-based, not mustard-based, spicy, not spicy, sweet, whatever. I just like barbecue sauce. So welcome. Mm. Come all, come all. Vinegar-based sauce or ketchup sauce? For me? Yeah. All of the above. Really? Okay, I, I'm like I'm with you, except for mustard, because I can always taste it. However, I love a vinegar-based uh, sauce. Vinegar's good. Like a vinegar-based, like a real, like, loose, you know? Yeah. Especially good on, like, pulled pork, you know? I, I would say vinegar is more of, like, a traditional pulled pork-style yep. barbecue sauce. But, yep. yeah, I I just like, bar- I'm a fan of barbecue sauce. However, I will say with most brisket, I actually don't put barbecue sauce on it. Everything else I do. Well, not ribs either. Uh, barbecue sandwich. Ooh, okay. Sandwich is different. Sandwich is barbecue sauce. Just, we go to Franklin's and just get brisket. Just no eat sauce. the brisket. Yep. No sauce. Exactly. Okay. Uh, okay. And this is gross. I did not know this was a thing until another teacher did this during Christmas. Tamales with ketchup. No. Yes, you're gonna get passionate about that one. 
Not going to. I'm not. I'm never going to do it. No, it's disgusting. I don't know and who would ever put. I know that's a thing because I have had coworkers that do that. Yeah. I, and I've watched them do that. It honestly, it makes me gag. It's disgusting. And I will never eat a tamale with ketchup. I, I think know. you're ruining a tamale. Yeah. I, one, a delicious tamale is being right. ruined with ketchup. The only thing you should probably put on there, salsa or maybe queso. Yeah. A little bit of guac. You know, Any of those are acceptable mediums right. to put on a tamale. Ketchup, you are disgusting. What about a mustard-based barbecue sauce? <laughs> <laughs> That's like a double whammy. You're messing tamales and barbecue. What uh, about a ketchup-based barbecue sauce? <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 Uh, okay, cold salsa versus hot salsa. Cold salsa. Ooh, okay. But they say that cold salsa should not be served anywhere near chips. Because traditionally, a cold salsa means it's not fresh. Because when you cook salsa, typically it's going to come out warm or hot. I went to a restaurant one time, and a Mexican restaurant uh-huh. in Houston. Yep. Man, why did all my food stories come from Houston? I don't know. Houston has good food. <laughs> Houston does have good food. I was there for a funeral. That's a different deal. Uh, first time, and I think only time that I've been served hot, like warm salsa. What? That's the only time? Yeah. Like, it's uh, like most text I was not <laughs> expecting it. I was like, what the heck is going on? What are you talking about? I and Really? I'm, no. Have you ever ne- been to Papacitos? I've been to Papacitos. They didn't, I've never had one. Oh, their sauce is warm. Is it's, it? Yeah, it's warm. A lot of Tex-Mex places I here. haven't been to uh, Papacitos in years, though. I would say the smaller mom and pop shops typically have warm salsa. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, Chewy's, very cold. So I know it's not But fresh. Chewy's, you do Jalapeno Ranch. Oh yeah, you don't mess up. Yeah, you, you go, you go that. You don't do salsa. <laughs> you don't. You yeah, don't. you <laughs> just do salsa. Move it to the yeah. side. You, you don't do even that. need to bring it. Save it for the next. You table. put that ranch on those deep yeah. fried tortillas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jalapeno ranch only at <laughs> at, Chewy's. at Chewy's. Yeah, yeah. So I again, I'm not gonna like argue with somebody about it. Right. It's one of those things I'm not gonna argue about. But I would say I I, I would prefer say hot I, sauce I, over cold salsa. Given the fact, I usually prefer chilled things. Like, I'll eat cold pizza. I like my whiskey chilled. Yeah. I generally prefer, especially dipping, when you think of a dipping sauce, nine times out of t- ten, it's chilled, except if it's queso. Yeah, like fondue. Um, most of the time, you have a dipping or sauce. Chocolate. Or guacamole. Oh, can you imagine? Hot guac would be disgusting. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. I just think dipping sauces are more generally cold. I... I we did uh, for Valentine's Day yesterday. We actually did our own hot uh, melted chocolate. Oh yeah, here and did fruit. Yeah, was it exciting? It. it was great. Yeah, did you make a mess. It's made a mess. <laughs> it's messy. <laughs> it's messy. Yeah. But it was fun. And you know what? We did that uh, for Super Bowl. We did uh, melted cheese. You know what we didn't do this year? A couple of years ago, we did a Super Bowl party with you. Yeah, and that was fantastic. Uh huh. Because I brought Boudin. Boudin oh balls. yeah, yeah, yeah. That you was made one. ribs. Yeah, and uh, wings. And wings. We had a great time. We did. Why didn't we do that this year? Yeah, COVID. Well, no, this year. I don't know why we, we didn't We do were this already year. over COVID. Yeah. I don't know why we didn't do this year. Next year. Yeah. We'll do a honey hole. I will say, Kayla and I, whenever it gets to the weekend, we kind of just want to like. You are in a different nothing. job now. Yes. And like, I love my job, but also my job is draining. And when I get home, I just want to do I think thing. that's what's changed with me too. I used to fish all the time with my old job. Mm-hmm. I could go in the, like after work. No yeah. problem. It wasn't as draining. Yeah. My current job is extremely draining. And sometimes on the weekends, yes. I need to get stuff done. Plus, we also have the added responsibility of Honey Hole. Yeah. And that is also like a part-time job. So that takes a sig- 
pretty significant amount of time away. Sometimes you just want to hang out and do nothing. Sometimes I want to hang out and watch movies and then talk about them on the Discord pre-show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's the next one? Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. Should, what type of beans should be reserved with Tex-Mex? Refried, black, Ooh. charro, or pinto? I'm going to have to go, my two favorites are black beans uh-huh. and uh, refried beans. Yeah, I'm right but there with you. I also do like uh, like the pinto bean bowls that like mm. has mixed with like like uh, salsa, like yep. onions and like stuff like that. Your dad makes some freaking awesome beans. Oh, yeah, my dad makes great beans. Yeah. Um, but they would say pinto beans belong nowhere near Tex-Mex. Pinto beans belong nowhere near Tex-Mex. Yeah, it should only be charro. Black or refried. I only usually get black or refried anyway. Me too. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to enter myself in that debate but because I'm not like, going to order it. I like beans. You know, if they whatever that comes with, that's typically what I get. If yeah. they, I have the option, black or refried. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm not going to stiff yeah. my nose about a good bean bowl. Uh, rice does not belong in a burrito. Disagree. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with that one. Rice is a great burrito filler. I don't like a ton of rice. Right. Some but people I want overload it, yes. but I want it there. Yeah. I. You know what? That's perfect. I don't want a ton, and a lot of places do put a little bit too much, but also, I like it. I, w- I, want, I want it there. It. I want it. Yeah. Um, you must suck the head of a crawfish. Yes, I yep. agree. I totally agree. I understand why people don't want to, and I'm not going to like get on to somebody for not doing it. I am going to encourage them to do it, mm-hmm. but if someone doesn't want to suck the head, yeah, eh, whatever. I feel like you're missing out on a whole part of it. Like that, I feel like that's part of eating crawfish. I feel like the person that's doing it is missing out, but I'm not going to like sit there and argue with them and be about like, no. you should be sucking the head. Right. Versus like, you know, you shouldn't be putting ketchup on tamales. I'll fight with you for that one. Um, okay, last one. Should uh, on chicken fried steak, mm-hmm. white gravy or brown gravy? Ooh. I'm gonna take the house specialty on that one. So I don't have a preference. Whatever mm-hmm. the hot, ha- whatever if it's a good chicken fried steak place, however they do their best gravy, yeah, is how I'm taking it. Yeah, I would say most of the time it comes with white, like country yes. gravy, and I like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, if they're gonna put brown gravy on it, a homemade brown gravy is yeah. hard to beat. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue. Like some of these things, do people really argue about it? Yeah, dude, people argue about this kind of stuff all the time. Brown or white gravy? Yeah, I like. To be honest, I kind of like white gravy a little bit more. But I would say I like white gravy. I would. I would agree more. But like, good brown gravy is great. I'm not gonna like argue with somebody. No, not it's at all. not like. Although I have been in some pretty heated barbecue debates with people. Yes. What yeah. barbecue should be? What barbecue shouldn't be? So, what do you think barbecue shouldn't be? Okay, so I don't really care. Yeah. Barbecue is the cut. Of the animal that you are cooking. And it's smoked. And it's smoked. That's To me, that's what barbecue is. Like, yeah. the whole tying flies debate. People get about, you can only use natural materials when you tie flies. I, like Tom Rosenbauer's approach, is if you can tie it to a hook with thread, it's a fly tying material. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. I don't tend to be barbecue exclusive. People do argue that a Traeger, which I we are sitting by as we record this episode, yep. that I have, and that I cook on all the time, it's not real barbecue if you cook it on a Traeger. My thought process would disagree. 
if I'm cooking a brisket and it is being smoked, whether by technology or by welded metal, right? I'm cooking a brisket. I think there's probably less love in it, you know. But but here's my thing. Hey, you're still making barbecue. Here's my thing. I would agree with you that there's less love in it. Right. Although what I is, have ribs, what, what I have love? ribs down, and like I would rather eat my ribs, and McKenna would agree than like 95 percent of barbecue places. Yeah. And I do them on the Traeger. The Traeger allows me to cook barbecue more often, which I am a fan of, and more specific and perfect. And more spe- with less maintenance. Yes. I barbecue more because I have a Traeger. Right. Because my time is extremely limited. Given the option of cooking barbecue or fishing, and I don't have a lot of time for fishing these days, I'm going fishing. Uh-huh. So, like, on my list of priorities, barbecue is pretty low. So if you can a set, Traeger allows me... To set it and forget it. To... I check on it pretty often. I don't yeah. just set it and forget it, but it takes a babying of it out. Like, right. I don't have to sit here on it all day. And I make can, sure every little twig you add is going to change the temperature. Correct. I can, you know, do my thing, go do something for an hour, come back and check on it, spritz it, whatever I'm going to do. Yep. So, I would agree, barbecue on a Traeger, probably less love, but love doesn't really affect the taste. And <laughs> yeah, it, doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, right? Like It's, it's a feeling. It's it not. Is. It's not a taste thing. Yeah. Uh, love doesn't affect the taste, and uh, it allows me to do something that I do enjoy eating more often. Yeah. So, you guys can cook on a Traeger or a Pit Boss or whatever other pellet. Sm- it's it's a pellet smoker, whatever pellet smoker brand you guys decide to use. They're basically all the same, uh, except the label on them. Uh, great, do it. It's to me, it's barbecue. I will. You invite me over, and you're cooking on a pellet smoker. I will come and eat it every time. <laughs> every time. Yeah. Uh, The other barbecue arguments in Texas that uh, obviously brisket here is king. Yep, brisket's king. Um, I've heard some things that you're not a real barbecue joint in Texas if you don't have the staples, uh, brisket, uh, sausage, and ribs, the three staples. Maybe not ribs here. Maybe. I know pulled pork isn't as big here. No. Um, you know what? It, it might be ribs. Ribs probably the other one. But I would counteract that by saying I have been to some non-traditional barbecue places. Uh-huh. Uh, that place out in... Um, Sisterdale. Uh, Sisterdale. Have you been there before? No. I just know that's one you always talk about. They do uh, wild game barbecue uh-huh. with a different flair. And it is one of my favorite barbecue places it's really good. ever. It is really yeah. good. We need to go out there. And, you know, they sell it every day, but it's not a Franklin's situation where right, you're like waiting just, in line. You they have just, a smaller amount. They so have a smaller amount. You yeah. can go out there. You can get the food you want. Every time I've gone out there, it's been fantastic. Um, and they do, like, you know, fried quail Ooh. and some other things that are non-traditional. They yeah. do some wild game meats that are non-traditional, but they do them barbecue style. And I wouldn't say that that place is less of a barbecue restaurant because it doesn't necessarily carry the core Texas staples, which yeah. I have actually been in this argument with people about. Like I know the people that I've argued with this about. They may or may not be listening. They say that that would not be a true Texas barbecue restaurant. I would say 
that they are adding something unique. They are doing traditional brisket. And they're barbecuing. And they're barbecuing on a traditional pit. Right. But they're doing something different. And they're also in a small Texas town. A very small Texas right. town. They can't, like, and they're doing well. I would even say it's, with. and they're doing, they sell it every day. They're doing well with being a little different than And I would us. say they might be a little more Texas than some of the restaurants that we have here that serve traditional. Even in Austin or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, I think of Cooper's. Is Cooper's the best barbecue I've ever had? No. Do they have the staples? Yes. Are they a true barbecue restaurant according to what these people argue? Yes. Cooper's in Lano? Cooper's in uh, Cooper's in Lano, yeah. Yeah. I like Cooper's in Lano. I love Cooper's in Lano, but... Uh, but I like Cooper's Lano a little bit more because it's like in Lano. It's a smaller, it's oh, a joint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Franklin's and Franklin's is the best barbecue. Like I've had. I haven't been to Snows. You know, that's a whole other argument. Like people love to argue about barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And I think Franklin's is good. I don't Fr- think Franklin's is the best though. Franklin's is great. I think Franklin's brisket is the best. I think other meats you can get better at other places, but we judge restaurants on brisket here in Texas. Yeah. Uh so I don't know. Uh, I'm not really into the uh, what I'm. My whole point in all of this, I'm not big into the barbecue arguments. Yeah, and see, what's funny too is being in Texas. I like brisket. Brisket isn't my favorite though. Like if I went to a barbecue place and didn't get brisket, I'd be okay with it. You like pulled pork? Pulled pork and turkey are like my jam, and I love ribs and other stuff too. But like pulled pork is going to be the number one thing I get. Again, me being from Tennessee, like and like going there all the time. Pulled pork is king. You know that's just the way it is. And, and I get le- ribs right. less and less ever since I've been – I Make figured them. out how yeah. to – and I've done pulled pork. My pulled pork has not turned out as great as other places I've had it. Yeah. My br- my brisket I did was not great. Um, but my ribs I feel really good about, good. and I love them. So yeah. when I go to other places, I'm like, if I want ribs the way I want them and the way I like them, I do, do them yourself. at home. Yeah. Best ribs I've ever had, Marfa, Texas. Marfa? Marfa, Texas. Yep. There's this place on the west side of town. As you're heading towards the little tiny target out there, and it is a oh, it's so good. Kindle's had the same thing. It is the best rib she's ever had. There's something about them. I mean, we were really hungry when we got them, but those ribs that are makes special. a difference. It does, but those ribs are special, and uh, it's like consistently on like people's lists and stuff too. Marfa, like middle of nowhere, their their barbecue. Well, is that all of your uh, Texas arguments article that you found? Yeah. Man, ketchup on tamales. Tamales sounds it's, horrible. It, honestly, it just sounds. I've it, watched people eat it, and it when you watch good. them eat it, it is as disgusting as it sounds. It is awful. Though I don't like to be a gatekeeper. I'll be a gatekeeper for that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll slap your head if you want to get tamales. <laughs> I mean, at least a one saw something. I can trick my mind and tell myself it's salsa or something. Yeah. Ooh. Although A1 on steak is a travesty. Oh, yeah. Nothing goes on steak except for salt and pepper, a little bit of butter. SPG, salt, pepper, garlic. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. So let's get into my conservation article. That was that last one was on patrol, which we didn't play the soundbite before. Mm-hmm. Let's do the uh, conservation corner. <laughs> this article is posted by the Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, This was sent to me about two hours ago by Evan. And so I have not done the due diligence of research other than this article. And I meant to, but I did not. But we didn't have time before the podcast. Although I started reading this article, and it's very interesting. 
And there are some causes for concern. Um, this was posted today. So this is literally, what you got, when you guys hear this, it's going to be a week old. But as far as we're concerned and we're talking about it, this was posted today, and it is a uh, national-level uh, hunting story. Biden administration is negotiating with animal activists over public land hunting. An animal rights group and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service have announced settlement discussions over a lawsuit that could revoke hunting opportunities on nearly 100 national wildlife refuges nationwide. In November, the Center for Biological Diversity filed suit over the 2020 expansion of hunting and fishing opportunities on 2.2 million acres within the refuge system. The litigious group alleges that hunting on refuges threatens endangered species due to the hunter, hunters trampling critical habitat through lead poisoning as a result of spent ammunition and because grizzly bears are mistakenly shot by hunters, believing them to be black bears or in self-defense. Um, we'll just go, let's go through this piece by piece and kind of, as we go through Zach, let's, let's talk about it. Yes. Um. So it sounds like this is regarding a lawsuit um, between an animal rights group and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So it sounds like they are trying to settle this lawsuit uh, probably before going to trial. They're trying to work on some kind of settlement. I don't know what the lawsuit uh, – it doesn't go into details of what the lawsuit is regarding, um, but explains that hunting on on refuges threatens endangered species due to hunters trampling critical habitat through lead poisoning as a result of spent ammunition and because grizzly bears are mistaken or shot in self-defense. So, Zach, what are your initial thoughts on that? That the, So, um, and obviously it happens, right? But my question would be, does it happen at such a rate where... We need to do something about it. You know what I mean? How many? How I don't. I. I would say more grizzlies are probably killed with people misidentifying them as black bear. I do see that happening. Yeah. Over people shooting them in self-defense, right? Because, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but generically, most hunters are not going to shoot an animal unless it is absolutely in self in self-defense especially like if you're out there hiking for miles you're not going to make the mistake of doing something like yep. that also i want to point out that uh when you get a bear tag many states and areas require you to take a bear identification test yeah. that you have to pass before because grizzly bears and black bears can be commonly mistaken and it's not just color it, it's not just color it's not just color grizzly bears can be black and black bears can be brown yeah and so you know, that alone is cause for concern. I don't think, like you said, Zach, that this is happening at such a rate that would be cause for concern. To point, to refute the other arguments, um, hunters trample critical habitat. I would say that hunters in general, and especially the people that I know that hunt, do a better job of practicing leave-no-trace principles right. than people that are just visiting in a vehicle these national refuge areas. Right. Plus, I would say I totally agree with that. Yeah. But also, like, think about the number of hunters who are on public land. It's not a ton. It's not a right? ton. And the second you say that hunters aren't going to go on this public land, 
they're going to open it up to recreation outside of hunting and fishing. That's right? So hiking, trail running. And you know for a fact that people who are out there just to mess around in the waste of the afternoon are going to be more likely to damage the property on purpose than an accidental hunter would by just trespassing on or uh, trampling on some uh, foliage. And I don't mean to downplay that, right? Because that does add to habitat changing, right? Yeah. Um, However, I think the amount that hunters and fishermen do is negligible compared. Because, like, think about it. Every time there's a story outside of, you know, Survivor Man, whoever, who got caught in um, uh, Canada... The people who get caught for defacing and damaging our public lands are always some guy who's trying to show off for his girlfriend, so he carves a heart into the side of uh, an Indian painting, you know, or somebody who goes out to Joshua Tree and cuts down half the trees because they're having a rager. You know, it's not the people who are out there to hunt and fish. No, it's not. I would, I, I would agree. I would say, I would say, hunters and fishermen. Yes, there is a potential trampling of critical habitat. Right. Uh. But that comes at a territory. much comes with the territory, but at a much lower rate of other recreational activities. Right. Let's just take uh they're not trying to get uh people that like to ATV and Jeep and off road. Right. That tramples critical habitat much more than a hunter walking through the woods. Especially a, a Jeep or an ATV can damage the terrain where it's almost un, like you can't turn it back. Yeah. Versus like a hunter who's walking around, you know, like they are trampling some, but it's not going to be irreversible, you know. Yeah, so I, I don't think that that's a good argument. The hunters are trampling critical habitat, no. and it needs to be in comparison to other outdoor, outdoor. I think you can't just say hunters are doing this, so they should stop. We need to look at the relationship of how much critical habitat are hunters trampling compared to other outdoor activities that are taking place in these national wildlife refuges. Right. Okay. And I do not believe that that number is higher. I would say, based on the number of hunters I know that are being allowed to hunt these areas, it's only a handful that are drawing these tags and going out there every year. Right. I would say it's at a much lower rate than other a- recreational activities, For although sure. we don't have the stats and there may not be any. Yep. Through lead poisoning as a result of spent ammunition. So this, um, this is something I do think that at some point in the next few years as hunters, we probably do need to start looking at, right? Because I don't, and I don't think it's going to be out there where people are shooting, you know, a mule deer or a whitetail or a a black bear, you know, a couple times a year. I don't think that's the main thing. I do think on places where people are hunting with a ton of lead shot over, not even over water, right? Because you can't do that in most places anyway. You can't, you can't duck, you can't duck hunt. Right. Basically, you can't duck hunt lead. But when you are shooting lead, even if you're not over a water source, still water is seeping into the ground, right? Over over time, and now this isn't going to happen over one season, but over time, that lead is going to filter into our um, into our water sources through rain runoff and everything else, right? Like studies are showing that that is happening. Well, pharmaceuticals are being found in bonefish, right? Exactly. So and um, and that's a runoff thing. Exactly. So like that is happening. I don't think it's going to change the face of hunting tomorrow, you know. I do think, though, as hunters, we should be looking at something that's not going to damage the land for our future generations to use, right? Because, like, at a certain point, and this might be 100, 200 years down the line, but it's still things we have to think about, if the lead poisoning does get so high that we can't even harvest fish from certain rivers because of the amount of lead, you know. 
And I, like I said, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but it is something I think as people who care about the land, we need to think about. I would say that the biggest opportunity for the amount of lead that would make a difference would be shotguns. If you're hunting for with sure. a shotgun. Yeah. I think most people shooting rifles aren't shooting lead. I think there's a minority of people that are still shooting lead through rifles, right. but I think most people are shooting... Well, because most of the time it's what? It's copper-plated, um, right? Yeah, it's... Is it copper-plated lead? Mm-hmm. Is it copper-plated lead? I don't know. I, may, I might be completely making that up. I don't know exactly. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I... You might look into that for a second, but, yep. uh, you know, even when we did our crane hunt, we weren't shooting lead. We were shooting bismuth, and yep. we could shoot lead. And so I think most hunters now are finding other opportunity, other things that they can shoot that are not lead. Uh, and I think the hunting community is moving in that direction naturally. I do, too. I think people are being aware of it, like you said, with the bismuth or even with the steel shot. You know, I think with the steel, it's not as um, effective. Right as mm-hmm. the bismuth, but we're we're making strides, right? We're making leaps and bounds. And I think that's a hunter's policing themselves thing. And I don't think that is something that needs to be. Uh, I and again, we're talking about a small minority of people that are using these lands for hunting. I really don't think that that is an argument that makes a good case for, you know, removing hunting completely from. These public lands. Yeah. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Just so we are talking about, typically uh, bullets, like the tip of it, is made from a lead alloy that's encased in brass or copper. Um, occasionally, if it's like an armor-piercing bullet, it has a steel inner core. Mm. So there is lead <clears throat> in most bullets. Uh, I don't know, you know, if we change that or how, and I don't know if the copper... Or the um, I wonder if the copper fully like encases the lead to right. where it does not seep. Yep. Let me think it, about it. Is I like I said I don't think that that like you said the public land um, a few couple people who go out there and actually shoot. I don't think they're really dramatically changing it. It is something over time, but like you said, shotguns are going to be the, I the don't, big thing. There. I don't think that on that argument. I don't think that should even be in the consider I don't think that should be an argument in consideration for removing 100% of hunting off of public land. No. I think with the direction hunters are naturally going, the biggest risk is shooting shotguns and the people I know that hunt with shotguns aren't shooting lead. Yeah. They're shooting other, like other earth metals, steel, bismuth. Yep, yep. There's some other ones. Uh, and re- tungsten. And, yeah, and realistically, I mean everything has and that's that's not I mean with the waterfowl stuff you can't shoot lead over water but that's hunters in a way policing themselves like those guys who just made the commitment to move on from lead yeah. and that's what they're shooting yeah and realistically microplastics are going to be worse off than lead anyway so yeah I I, I really don't see that's a good argument in the last grizzly bears are mistakenly shot by hunters believing them to be black bears or in self defense. Uh, we briefly mentioned on the mistaking. It happens. It does. Like I said, black bears can be brown. Brown bears can be black. I think uh, responsible hunters, we're not talking about poachers because poachers were never in favor of and they're a different breed than the average hunter. And yes, I think 100%. poachers get, again, we were, uh, that was on the Discord pre-show, so I don't want to bring it up. But we were having a conversation about how one uh, the loudest group of people or the group of people that get the most noise in the media, they do one thing bad, it puts a bad rap on the whole group. And the reality is 
they're the minority. Right. Someone shoots, misidentifies a bear and shoots it. That is a news story that we are reading on Honey Hole Hangout. Right. But 99.99999% of hunters are not making that mistake. No. So, again, we have three arguments that I really don't think hold water in an argument to completely remove people from. I think no. they just don't want people hunting. <clears throat> That's exactly It's what animal it is. rights activists that don't want people hunting, and they are trying to pull every little lead. This is a very small issue, right. but we have to bring it in the conversation. Killing a bear in self-defense, uh, jeeper. Right. Someone in a jeep could do that. Right. Someone hiking could do that. That is not a hunter issue alone. Not, and not to mention, like the more you open up uh, lands for people to be hiking and stuff like that too, you're going to have more people who get encounter who encounter bears, more likely for a bear to attack, and then you have to kill that bear anyways. Yeah. You know. So, and I'm not saying that, and obviously that's not right, <clears throat> but like when people go into nature. Things are going to happen, right? Like, yeah. we get to enjoy it, and it's awful when those things happen, but it, they do happen. Well, and uh, where did I hear? I don't remember where I heard this, but, like, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage of people that will have a bear encounter in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like, they say, if you, like, let's just pretend it's 1%. 1% of the population will have a bear encounter in their entire across their entire lifetime. They'll have one bear encounter. That's not 1% for me, you, and uh, Joe Schmo, who never leaves the city. No. That's that, everybody. That is, let's say, me and you are out in these wildernesses every year hunting. Right. That's a 30% chance for me and you and a 0% chance for my neighbor who never goes there. Right, right. So um, the more you're out near bears, the more likelihood an encounter is going to happen. And if you get attacked by a bear, you should be able to shoot. I think if you can shoot someone breaking into your house in self-defense, I think you can shoot a bear in self-defense. That's just my... <laughs> Right. Applying logic across the board. Yeah, right. And it's, yeah, it's just <laughs> one of those things. But uh, the misidentifying bear. I th- again, I think it's a small minority of people. I think it's a small minority of the situation. Right, is, is misidentifying. Yep. <clears throat> uh, the lawsuit. Uh, continuing the article, the lawsuit seemed a long shot given the 1997 Wildlife uh, National Wildlife Refuge Improvement Act. Landmark legislation drafted and pushed through Congress by the Sportsman's Alliance, who is publishing this article. I just want to make make sure that's clear and open to everybody, which ensured that hunting, fishing, and trapping would occur on any refuge where it's compatible. The historic law has opened millions of acres to hunting, as every presidential administration since has touted expansion of opportunities within the system. And going off on that, and I, because you know, I want to make sure both sides are covered. Um, <clears throat> in August of last year, uh, the Biden administration expanded 2.1 million acres of hunting and fishing lands. Um, so, you know, that included 88 national wildlife refugees and uh, fish hatchery. So, you know, like, it, it's <clears throat> it's not, nothing's going to be taken away from this, you know, in my opinion. Uh, like I said, most presidents are into the idea of expanding recreational opportunities for hunters and fishers. Um, I, I honestly, I don't think it, especially, I don't think it would be a good thing for anybody to run on right now. You know what I mean? No. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, with the number of people who started being, who started hunting and fishing with COVID, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. And, um, so yeah, so 
you know. The joint filing by the Biden administration and CBD asking for delay in the court proceedings while the two sides conduct settlement talks sends an alarming message to hunting groups that are preparing to intervene in the lawsuit to ensure the rights of sportsmen are protected. Should the administration reach an agreement, CBD would likely not have to spend a single legal dollar as these settlements often include payment of legal fees, taxpayer dollars. Worse, any settlement will likely include restrictions or revocation of hunting opportunities. The Sportsman's Alliance and other conservation groups were offered no warning of the pending talks nor offered a seat at the table. Uh, obviously, this is from the Sportsman's Alliance. So uh, a few short months ago, the Biden administration was touting the large expense of hunting and fishing yep. in history. Yep. They mentioned that in the article on these lands. And now they're negotiating with animal rights activists over hunting opportunities while excluding sportsmen from having a seat at the table. Said uh, Evan, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, president and CEO of Sportsman's Alliance Foundation, which has been preparing to defund hunting on refugees in the case. It's no surprise that animal rights and anti-hunting groups want to stop hunting, but sportsmen shouldn't tolerate being shut out as the Biden administration negotiates away hunting opportunities on public lands. I think that's a little uh, broadsided wording from the Sportsman's Alliance. I think, obviously, I don't want this to happen. No. I know you don't want this to happen. No. People listening to this podcast don't want this to happen. I think uh, the interesting, uh, no, the way that I know that lawsuits work uh, via my job, uh, it seems like they're pending a lawsuit and they're trying to settle pre-lawsuit. Right. And so what are they actually suing for? And that's what this article doesn't go into a lot where we need to uh, research more. Uh, the litigious group alleges that hunting on refugees threatens endangered species. So it sounds like they sued you know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh -huh. because... Uh, hunters cause damage to habitat, lead causes damage to habitat, and bears accidentally get shot so, sometimes. So they're representing the habitat. Yes. Okay. It, is, uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And it sounds like they don't want it to go to court and they're trying to settle. Yeah. Uh, is way, the way the article makes a sound, which is interesting, but this seems more... Can you settle away someone's hunting and fishing rights? Right, because... In, <clears throat> settlement usually includes... It, we're, you know, you sue somebody, usually includes some kind of monetary, you know, monetary value. Right. Can you sue someone else's rights given by Congress in the 1997 Wildlife Refuge Improvement Act? Can you settle that away without um, going through the traditional constitutional process? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you could. Right, because technically that belong that land belongs to the people who access it. Yeah, and that hunting was given in a National Wildlife Refuge Improvement Act. So it seems like to me that there would either have to be a new act that redacts that, or there need to be an uh, amendment to that act. Right. And can they do that without the full support of Congress and going through the actual voting proceedings? Yeah, and I don't see I don't see that happening. Uh, it is kind of concerning to read about, though. I just don't. I just don't see it changing access. I don't, because I mean, like, this kind of stuff happens all the time, right? There's some, you know, a group who says, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, fight for the butterflies or whatever, you know," and it it gets a bunch of things out there, gets a bunch of people upset, and then nothing ever comes from it, you know. Yeah, and it's kind of like. You know, who was it? Another podcast was saying that it's like kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't, because it's like, 
Republicans take away access by giving it to private companies and just the generalization and Democrats limit what you can and can't do on it. You know, so it's like nobody's truly for the hunters and anglers, you know. Yeah. Um, at least if you want to do it via public land, you know. Yeah, it's uh, – I'd like to see how this develops and get more information on it. I this agree. is a short article that was published today. I think this was a uh, rush publish. Just get it out. Get it out. Get information out there. Because yeah. if I was a conservation organization, whether it be Trout Unlimited – uh, Sportsman's Alliance. And I know I really know nothing about the Sportsman's Alliance, uh, Sportsman's Alliance, or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, mm-hmm. whatever conservation group I'm a part of. If I heard that the Biden administration was sitting down and talking with animal rights activists that are advocating to remove hunting, that would be a big concern, right? Especially if there wasn't group talk or a seat at the table. Right. So I can understand why these conservation groups are concerned. Oh, yeah. Because what are they talking about? What what deals are being made that we're not aware of? Now, is it why is this alliance that public? wasn't offered to see the table, or or is it, like, every hunting group? You know, like, does BHA have a seat at the table? You know you know what I mean? Like, are they just mad because they specifically weren't invited? Um, which excludes sportsmen from having a seat at the table. So it sounds like it's just these two groups talking, gotcha. and there's no sportsman's organization yeah. that is allowed to table. I was when I read this article earlier. I was. This argument is getting really old and annoying, and I think there's like a middle ground. Uh huh. And I think people are obviously animal rights activists want you know no hunting. They care about the animals. They don't want any hunting. They want the animals to just live free. I think the point that they're missing is that hunters and anglers also care about the hunt. They also care about the animal. And the land. And the land. And it's important to them. I think the missed opportunity is that everyone's kind of on the same page as a sense. Hunters, conservation groups funded by hunters and anglers, do a majority of the habitat restoration work that's needed to support a lot of the animals that animal rights activist groups... Yeah, with their time and their money. With their time and their money. Hunters don't just want to shoot the animals away like the buffalo, which I think... I think they're misrep... I think the animal rights activist group is misrepresenting hunters. They don't want to... The animals... To hunt the animals away and then never come back again... All of us want healthy populations of deer, right. healthy populations of elk, healthy populations of trout. We want the same thing. They just don't want us hunting and fishing for them. Whereas hunters want to be able to continue their traditions. Yeah, because realistically, like a feedlot is going to be way more detrimental to the environment and to animals than anything hunters need. I've seen some videos of feedlot, and it's ab- absolutely horrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. I think that's the fight they should be battling. Realistically, they need to stop wasting their time with this kind of stuff because it honest like in the grand scheme of things. In the things, grand scheme of things, we want the same thing. Right. We want animals and we want habitat. And we want habitat and we want those animals to right. thrive. Hunters just want to be able to hunt for them. Right. And animal rights activists just want them to be able to live. We 
Everyone wants deer. Hunters aren't trying to hunt out deer. We want them. We want to be able to hunt for them. We have the same end goal, but it's a big circle. Right. And I wish that was the point that they would see instead of, uh, but I think they see the poachers and the people breaking the law and the people that make the news and they say, we don't want these people to ruin what we have. And we, hunters agree with that. We don't want the poachers and the people breaking the law to ruin what we have. No, not at all. We just want to be able to hunt. We just want to go out and hunt and enjoy public lands in the and way enjoy that, the land. and enjoy the land and do it legally and right. get the tag and the appropriate, you know, credentials. So uh it's just this argument is is getting frustrating. I think uh hunters are misrepresented generally. Yeah, I would say so. Everybody's misrepresented everywhere. Right. That's why you guys need to watch South Park because they <laughs> hate on everybody equally. <laughs> So, It's so nice out there, out there in the Mexican markets where chilies stretch in the sun, high in the mountain air between backcountry skis and kids doing the first snowplow, or next to the pool after a long day of forgetting what day it is. We're all here to get out there and come home more us than the us that went away. And when you save on travel as an Expedia member, you can travel even more. It's so nice out there. So let's go. Expedia. Made to travel. Terms apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. We have an interview lined up for you that's going to start in about five seconds. Guys, thanks for listening. We will hope you enjoy the interview. All right, guys. Hey, we have a special guest with us today. We're sitting at Trout Fest at our booth recording, sunburnt and tired. Well, we can't ask for better weather today. We can't ask for better weather today. Today, we are sitting with the guys from Wild Ops, Casey and Jay, and we're excited to have you guys on to tell us about what y'all do. Yeah. Well, we're excited to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate you having us. Yeah, no, no. thanks, guys. Uh, it's always uh, fun because to have booth. You, I would consider y'all our booth mates, right? Yeah. Y'all yeah. are next to us, and then we have our good friends at uh, Mayfly Pro- Project next to us. So booth buddies, booth yeah. buddies. Yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> booth neighbors there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, will you guys walk us through what Wild Ops is, and then what y'all do? Yeah, absolutely. So Wild Ops is a it's a 501c3 nonprofit, and what we do is we take combat veterans specifically, and we take them on six-day fly fishing trips, all expenses paid for, everything taken care of, places like Montana, Idaho, Arkansas, High Sears in California, Texas, Alaska coming up. Yeah, Tennessee. Um, Tennessee. I'm missing some in there. We go. If there's fish, we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and... Really, but, you know, the, we take them to world-class fishing places. You know, we teach them how to fly fish. We bring out world-class casting instructors and really, like, give these guys, you know, we're not just taking them fish; we're teaching them to fly fish. And then, really, but the real beauty in what we do is it, it 
the fishing has nothing to do with it. It's it's about getting guys into the woods, you know, where they can be around fellow combat veterans. All of the facilitators and guides that we have out there are all, you know, combat veterans as mm-hmm. well. So it's a place where, where guys can come out, reconnect with their brothers, and, and really share some of the stuff that they've been hanging on to since whatever war they were in. We have some guys yeah. that come in from Vietnam that'll... Yeah, we've got a Vietnam vet going on an Arkansas trip next week, or... Tennessee trip next yeah. week. And some well, of these guys yeah. are, I they, they, they come up and they go, I haven't told anyone that since I left Vietnam. Yeah. And like, you've, been oh, holding, wow. you've been holding on to that for that long. Yeah. And that that's really where the beauty of, of what we do is, you know, the, the mission statement for Wild Ops is initiate a, a deeper level of healing through faith, the outdoors, and brotherhood. Yeah. You know. You know, we really, we share like the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the deployment and then the good, the bad, the ugly once we get back, right? Yeah. Most of us have some significant issues readjusting after our, will our you, combat Will time. you talk about that a little? Can you guys talk about that a little bit, the issues readjusting coming back, and just kind of give our listeners an idea of, of what that might yeah. be like? Yeah, so, like, for me, man, like, I grew up, I'm a Texas boy, and I grew up in, you know, my, my worldview was mom, Jesus, football, and apple pie, right? Like, yeah. the gospel on Friday and I the gospel on, right. on Sunday morning, right? <laughs> and so you go you go to places like I went to Iraq, and you go go over there, and, man, like, the, the way the – that core belief is just rocked because you see so much hurt and trauma, right? The things that you either did or the things that you think you should have done and and couldn't have helped, and I mean, it just it, it affects you in a in a like a, a, a soul wound, right? Is how I mm, refer to it, right? Absolutely. It just gets you down in the soul, and then when you come back, you see things, um, you know, like 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 you know, when, like for me, it was like the kids, you know, crying and stuff, man. But I had to deal with kids that were hurt and dying at that same age, and it just bothers me. Or or the little things in life. Um, for a lot of us, I was out on a fishing trip out in Alaska. We were out fly fishing, and I was on a, out there with about five or six other combat vets, and we're sitting there, we're going around the, around talking, and the guy's like, man, you know, at the end of the day, i got to make sure all the doors are locked and the lights are on. And I'm like, man, that's, I do that. And the next guy goes, you know, when um, everything's life or death, right? It's always life right. or death, um, every decision. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me too. And then one goes, you know, when the – Kids spill the ice out of the ice machine on the refrigerator and it falls on the floor and melts. Like, I immediately, in my mind, I go, Mom's going to come down here, slip, fall, break her neck, and die. It's just wor- everything's worst case scenario. Mm. And everybody goes around the deal. Because that's all- what we plan for in our mind. You oh, know, yeah. when, when you're going out on a patrol in Afghanistan or whatever, it's my mind's going 6,000 miles a minute. I'm trying to plan enemy's most likely avenue of attack. Where's he going to hit me from? If I were going to hit from that direction, I'm going to do this or move that or just so that your brain gets conditioned to yeah. just always expect where the hit's coming from. Yep. And then, you know, the old cliche is, you know, it's hard to turn off. Yeah. You know, and then yep. and that's when the problems happen is, you know, guys come home, all of a sudden it gets real quiet and you can't turn your mind off. And with a lot of us, you know, myself included, it's like, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the way I, – I, I know how to change that. Yeah. You know, it, it turns into – it can be behavioral <laughs> things. It can be substance abuse. It can yeah. be, you know, whatever mm-hmm. vice that people find to – uh to try to just, you know, self-medicate those... those uh, to numb their emotions, right? I don't exactly. like the way I feel, so I don't want to feel this way. I'd so rather I can, feel nothing than the so way I, I can, feel. Yeah, so I can turn to the bottle, or I can turn to some dope, or I can turn to work, or I can turn to sex, or I can turn to whatever and and not have to, to feel that. And and so for most of us, we just we can't re-engage with our families. We can't re-engage with our loved ones. We can't re-engage at work or in community and... And so finding that that brotherhood, there's a, a good book I read a couple a couple months ago. It was talking about how we're all tribal, right? We have a, a shared like out here, man. Like I haven't met anybody in the fly fishing community that I don't like. Yeah. 
everybody's been really yeah. really cool, right? Hang around long enough. Oh, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but we have this we have this shared passion, right? Yes, no, like, I agree. I mean, yeah, you know, we may not like, but like everybody has the same shared passion, and a rising tide, you know, brings up all ships. Yeah. So and and I really uh, really appreciate it about the fly fishing community. Like like you said, is you know you meet everybody and everybody's nice and yeah, you know. Well, and I, I think fly fishing really is a good segue for combat veterans because, yeah. like, for me, I, I grew up, you know, I'm a Texas kid that grew up fishing and hunting and everything and on the coast and all that stuff. But for me right now, watching a bobber or something, my mind is 3,000, 6,000 miles away back in Afghanistan. If I'm yeah. sitting there watching that that bobber, my mind starts going, it's bad news. But when I'm fly fishing, I mean, it's a million micro decisions every second, right? Yeah. So it's because you're, you're the technical aspect of it. Hyper-technical, hyper-focused. My mind yeah. is so focused on what <coughs> I'm doing that that's really the only it's time just, that... It's just me, the river, and the fish, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, but you find that connection with nature, and then you find that connection with, with in that tribal, like I was saying, with yeah. that tribal connection, you find that connection with other people, right? And, it, and like you said, man, like if we were to meet like downtown Austin... Like, I might not have anything to do with you, right? Like, I might not, our politics might be different, our religion might be different, what we, our core beliefs might be different, but we get out on the river, it's like, man, you having a good day? Yeah, yeah, what you catching them on? You know? And you might tell yeah. them the truth. I might tell them the truth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, but we want them to, everybody get out and have fun, and, and it's that common, common shared interest, and for the military, it's that common shared suck, right? Like, we all, all generations of us, man, we know what it's like. Like, there's a great line in, um, in uh, Heartbreak Ridge, it's like an AK-47 makes a distinct sound. Distinct fire, sound. Fired at you. And I can relate to that. Vietnam vet can relate to that, right? So we can we have that shared experience. We speak the same language. And, and so we're able to get them back out and get them connections with their their their, their brothers, right? Their combat brothers and, and, and sisters too, right? And then, um, and then take that and then get them plugged into local things in their community. The beauty that we were talking yesterday so much about was, man, if we can get these guys addicted to fly fishing they're not going to have any spare money to do anything else with but they're also going to be able to come back and especially if we like here in texas man there's so much great public water that we can get them out and then take them on a trip show them how to do it show them how to access their public water show them how to get out there and, and fish you know legally and, and be that good conservationist and and then they can come out and once they get a little bit of gear and lined out they can come out and do that you know on the weekends right yeah. they're not having to go which I'm, I'm all for really cool trips, like, but they're not having to go and spend, you know, tons of money to go to Alaska or go to Wyoming or yeah, go to Montana. Right. They realize they can go to their backyard yeah. and do it every weekend. Yeah. Don't get not me wrong. I love teaching guys to catch dry, you know, trout on dry flies in Montana. That's great. But, okay, what do you do when you live in South Houston? Yeah. You know, like it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, you go down the coast, catch you some red drum on a, on a fly or, or spec trout on a fly, right? You go, yeah. and you go to the bayous and catch you some carp. That's yeah. right. But that, that, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the point we're getting at yeah. is where, you know, teach teaching the guys to fish and how they can continue to do it, you know, what they're when they're back at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they can, this is, you know, we're teaching you a, a hobby and a pastime that is lifelong, yeah. you know. Yeah. So let's talk about where are you guys based out of? I'm based out of Cedar Park, Round Rock area. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and I'm I, I live outside of Houston, okay. Willis, big town of Willis. Okay. And so, uh, how did Wild Ops start? When did you guys start? Okay. And then, what does like the process of one of these trips yeah, look say, like? Yeah, if awesome. You, if you go on it, what would it look yeah, like? Yeah. So, Wild Ops was started by our founder Jeff Morris uh, back in like 2016. Okay. Uh, he he had gone on a Wild at Heart trip uh, with a, a gentleman named Chris Leach who's just an awesome guide uh, up there in Montana. They're, they're fishing the Smith River, 
and they just kind of had like a thing where it was just it was like a men's it was like a like a men's group kind of trip like it was a fishing trip but they were you know they were there to you know get into the word and kind of just you know really just hash out some you know some topics that were going on in their lives and they just kind of had this you know we need to do this for for veterans like they just kind of had a calling to do that so that's where it was you know the inception really happened okay um and then as as it grew you know this year we're set to do 15 yeah, 15, 15 trips wow you know really 15 trips next year we're we've doubled every year next year we we expect to do 30 and that's you know that's a huge huge undertaking but going back to your your question of uh, what is a what is a what does a trip look like you know a guy goes onto our website fills out an application it takes three minutes sends us over his dd-214 which if you're in the military you know what that is mm-hmm. just your discharge papers we just confirm that you know our only criteria is that you're a combat vet there's no well you had to be shot at or you had to get no 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 if you're in a combat zone you're a combat vet you're good enough for us man this isn't oh he didn't do enough no we, we're not we're not doing that mm-hmm. that ain't what it's about mm-hmm so once we once we have a pretty heavy vetting process that we make sure that guys are coming out on these trips for the right reasons, you know, that these guys aren't trying to just, you know, work a system or whatever. They really want to be out there and work on themselves. And then once we once we have that, you know, we set them up on we, – we pick each trip or we, pe- we pick each veteran and we put them in a trip that would be specifically, you know, good for them. So, you know, as you guys noticed, Jay's an amputee, right? So he's not up in the high Sierras of California is not very conducive to a good time for him. Mm. But we have those trips like places in Tennessee that are very, very, you know, handicap accessible. But we also have stuff that, you know, like I said, these these high adventure trips that are um, that and really the purpose to that is the guys that are really isolating, that are really doing bad, that are hidden away in their house that don't want to talk to anyone that kind of that's what draws them out yeah like it, these guys aren't going to come out to go crappie fishing down in the local pond you know what i mean it's but oh well, you, you want to take me fly fishing in montana <laughs> mm-hmm. i might come out the house for that and it's that gonna be a little challenging right like that's the deal right like we we assess them and then we figure out you know like there's some places we could go where it's just like i just roll right out on the boat and, mm-hmm. and all that i mean there's no real challenge in it we, we go to places where there's it's doable but it's going to be a challenge because right. I think, like, our founder, Jeff, had talked. we were talking a couple weeks ago, and he was like, you know, really the heart of it is we want to call the warrior back out in them, right? Because so many of them come back and they just shut down. And um, there's this whole theme going through the veteran community. You know, we have this, this post-traumatic stress disorder, and there's this, this shift to call it post-traumatic growth because you've gone through something really bad, but you've, you're coming out of it, right? Like, you might not be out of it yet, but you're co- going to come out of it. There's hope to come out of it. And once you come out of that, you're stronger, right? Just like when you break your arm, break a bone, when it heals back, it heals back stronger, right? And so you have that skill set to be able to do better. And so we're challenging the guys, and we, we fit fit them fit the trip to them, and then we bring them out. And when we come out, man, we just really kind of sit there and and like Casey was saying earlier, the the fishing is really good, but it takes second fiddle to the fellowship and the brotherhood. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, <coughs> well, so uh, go real, ahead, Zach. Real quick, go I had ahead, a question. Um, are you guys finding it? A challenge to because, like you said, a lot of these guys just come back and they want to kind of just not talk with anybody. It's really hard to kind of get them to open up. Are you guys finding a challenge with getting them to sign up when they know that's part of it, or are most guys um, enthusiastic? Like, hey, and, and like, I, I've been looking for something like. And this. I think this uh, question comes from uh, we volunteer with the Roll Recovery a lot. They take men with cancer yeah. on retru- weekend retreats. Yeah, great and, guys over there. And you know. You know, we're on the fishing buddy side, so the helping them when they're there, we don't, 
we're not big on the, we don't help a lot with the recruiting of getting the actual participants there. But mm-hmm. a common theme I hear with those guys is that you know people don't believe that it's real. Number one, there's a free retreat for me to go fly fishing and get group counseling, um, and you know I get all the equipment. It's no expense to me. It's almost like it's too good to be true, mm-hmm. and so yeah. people like almost think it's a scam, and that keeps them away from it. So to to answer yes and no. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, exactly. You're t- so you want to bring me out to Montana, pay for everything, and do all this? What's the ca- like? What's mm-hmm. the catch here? Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't know you. I don't trust you. Like there, there is part of that. That does happen. There's and guys feel that way, and I, I can't blame them. Right. You know, like I was there too at one yeah. point. Um, but at the same time, I think that you know, and then the other end that there's some guys that are really, really like they they want to get it all. They've been carrying. They've had that monkey on their back for. 10 years, 20 years, yeah. 40 years, they're years, ready yeah. to get that monkey off their back. Yeah. And especially when they get in that mindset and, you know, it, it can be hard to get guys to open up. It's something they've gone out of their way to avoid even thinking about right. for a decade at least. And, but really the, the beauty of our program is all of the, like I said, all the facilitators, all the guys, we're all uh, combat veterans. We go in and we tell our story first. I'm not going to bring you out and say, hey, gut yourself in front of all these guys. Yeah. You know, tell me your worst secret. Go. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we go out. I tell the guys the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a lot of ugly. We all went through a ton of stuff. So I go out and, you know, just I give them the real deal. And really the, the, the thing about our brotherhood and the combat veterans is once somebody sees you go up there and really be vulnerable and expose yourself yeah. – not too many dudes are gonna are gonna give you the uh, give you the light version after that. They really feel like okay, this guy came up and stepped up. I'm not gonna be the guy that comes in and just kind of glazes over everything. Yeah, and I think it's, there's kind of a bit of like a accountability. accountability. Yeah, there's accountability. accountability. Yeah. And well, because there was accountability in your service too with right. the guys around you while you're there. Well, and you don't so, want to be that guy that comes up there and well, it's like you know skims <laughs> over everything, and for the rest of the mm-hmm. trip, everyone's looking at you like. Oh yeah, Mister! I got my life all perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you sure look like it. You know, yeah, like yeah. Well, it's going to be a long six days for you. <laughs> well, and what happens? So, so a lot of our recruiting is word of mouth, right? So, like, like I'm inviting my friends, the guys that I served with, the guys that I met post deployment, and and then they're invite. They come on the trip, and then they invite their friends, and 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 it goes that way. And then the guys that that are like, you know, somebody referred me to you, and I'm not sure what's going on. When we call into our vetting process, you know, it's all combat vets that are calling and doing the vetting. And so the, we're talking to the guy, and we've got his paperwork in front of us. And we're like, man, you know, well, oh, where, I was in Iraq. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Where were you at? Oh, I was, I was, at, I was at Iron Horse. Oh, man, I was over at War Eagle. Or, mm-hmm. and, and when were you there? I was over oh four, oh six, oh eight, whatever. And we make that connection, right? And so the, so the walls start to come down before the trip, right? Oh, exactly. And we're, we're talking to these guys yeah. and following up with them and, and just seeing how they're doing and making sure that, like, they're – you know, they've got life back home is not so out of control that they're not going to be able to focus on the trip or make the trip. One of the things that we, we we require them to do is, you know, they put a little deposit down on the airfare, and as soon as they land, we give it back to them, right? And, um, I mean, we pick them up from the airport, airport and it goes right back It goes to right wow. back into And there's them. a reason for it. Yeah. Jay, I'm sure Jay was about to get to it, but, you know, the week before the trip, we know now, after doing all these trips, Every the enemy's going to attack. All of a sudden, the kids get sick. The wife, this she's kicking. Like there's whatever, ha- like whatever problem's going to happen happens a week before yeah. the trip. Yeah. 
and it's real easy. I was one of them. I love fly fishing. You know, like it's my passion, my it's my life. But the week before I went on my very first one, I was like, I'm starting trying to think of excuses not to go. Like yeah. I don't know these people. I don't know where we're going. All of this stuff. But once you put that deposit down, it really does yeah, kind of keep the retention. The yeah. You know, and like I said, once we pick you up at the airport, it goes right back. And then what Casey was saying too, like the. So the facilitators get up and we share first. And so a lot of the guys, the isolation, everything that they get through, they get this this stinking thinking where they think, mm. man, I'm the only one in the world that's ever going through this, right? Like right. I have nobody to talk to because the if I tell my brother or my sister that didn't deploy or my girlfriend or my wife or my cousin or my, my best friend from high school, he's not going to understand. He's going to look down on me. And then they get out there and, and uh, you know, after a couple of facilitators get up and we share those really hard yeah, I start telling hurts. them how I can't sleep at night. I have yeah. hypervigilance. I'm listening to car tires and got to make sure the doors lock. All of a sudden, this guy's like, "Oh, oh, that was me, man. That's yeah. me. I do." Yeah, that. just like on my fishing trip, I was we were talking about earlier. And so then they get go and they're like, "Man, you know, like, like that happened to me. I can share that. Like he just got up and shared that with a room full of strangers, and I can share that, right? And it's a safe. We and, and we really spend a lot of time early in the trip talking about how the trip in the room that we do the the, the talks in. It's a vault, right? Like everything stays in the vault, man. Right. And, and I'm not here to fix you, right? Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you the magic pill or the magic words to say or any of that, so that you're automatically better. I'm not here to poke you and, and fix you. What I am gonna do is, man, you've been in that hole, or you're in that hole. I've been in, in it. I've been in that hole. I'm gonna help you get out. There's a, a great thing. I love this little, little little kind of thing. It floats around social media around around Veterans Day and Memorial Day all the time, and. And talks about how this soldier's in the hole. He comes back from deployment, and he falls in this hole in the side of the street. And NCO walks by and says, hey, get out of that hole. He's like, I can't. I don't know how to get out of the hole. Officer walks by and is like, I'm ordering you to get out of the hole. He's like, I don't know how to get out of the hole. The uh, doc comes by and goes, here, take these pills. You'll forget in the hole. Chaplain comes by and he's like, hey, I'll pray for you so that maybe you can figure out or, or be comfortable in the hole. And this other combat vet comes by, jumps down the hole, and the dude's like, what are you doing here? Like, now we're both stuck in the hole, you fool. And he goes, no, nah, bro, I've been in this hole. I know how to get out. Exactly and that's what we it. do, right? Like, and, and I'll, I'll share what, what worked for me, and KC will share what worked for him and the other And what didn't. And what didn't, yeah. It and, almost as importantly, what didn't, hey, guys, I tried that. No. My personal experience did not work. Did not work. You know, yeah, like, yeah. save you a little bit of heartache maybe. And so they have all these tools in their toolbox when they leave that they can apply, right? And it's really – and then we ask them questions to help them figure out what they, learned, what they heard and what they know and what and, and what they can – they can come up with a plan that they can come up with and implement so that they can improve their quality of life when they get back. And then uh, Jeff always says that the the answer before the question does more damage, yeah. right? And so, you know, like if you're out here and you're trying to help me with fly, about my, my, you know, my, my casting skills and I think I'm just the best caster in the world and you're saying, you know, men, men, you know, whatever it is. And so, um, and I don't think I have a problem then I'm not going to really listen to you. But if I real, if I come to you and say, hey, man, I don't know how to cast, you're like, I got you. You're showing me, I'm more likely to listen to it, right? If it's my plan, my idea, I'm more likely to implement it, right? Mm-hmm. Just like I got a little skin in the game now because it's my plan. It's not your plan. Like your plan for me won't work, but mm-hmm. my plan for me might work. Yeah. And so um, so we help them with that. We help them with the, those tools and those resources. And then once, we get, once they get back off the op, um, they've got, you know, 10 or 15 brothers that they keep in, you know, I keep in contact with, probably not as much as I should, but I keep in fairly fairly close contact with the guys I was on the op with. And then, um, you know, then we have uh, aftercare programs, and all of us are plugged in with, with other veteran organizations that do different, slightly different things. 
And so the guy calls and is like, man, I got issues with whatever it is. Well, I know somebody that does that, right? I can here. Here's a number, man. I'm not yeah. going to call them for you, but here's here's a list of resources you can contact that can help you with that particular situation. I would imagine like Project Healing Waters would be a good pairing. You know, uh, you guys work with Project Healing Waters at all? No. Okay. Are you all familiar with them? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like you know, there's a lot of awesome organizations mm-hmm. out there. Um, you know, and there's you know, like I said, I think there's forty six thousand. Yeah, uh, veteran, veteran organizations, organizations mm, out okay. there. Wow, okay, yeah. Um, and, that, you know, to, on one hand, it shows you the need. Uh, and on the other hand, it shows you that, you know, pe- people are really trying to find something that works. Yeah. You know, that people yeah. want to help. Um, what we do is, you know, a little different, you know, from mm-hmm. some of those. We, we want to get guys out. Yep. We want to yeah. get them away from the stressors of work, life, wife, kids, whatever you got going on. We're pulling you out. You can decompress. You can be around your brothers again. And then, you know, after the trip, it's not like we just take them on a fly fishing trip, slap them on the back and say, you know, have a good time. It's like, okay, you know, I'm pretty sure we helped that dude those six days we were fishing. What about the other 300 yeah. and something days a year? Yeah. Well, what about that? And that's that's really where Wild Ops is, is shining right now is, you know, every other Monday we do a, uh, a video meeting. You know, a So with people who have already – been exactly. on the trip? Yeah. Okay. All of the alumni, all of them are invited. We come in, it's a video meeting. And what's amazing about it is they're all combat veterans, right? Some of these guys have never met each other on these video meetings, but yeah. they all know they went on a wild ops trip. They all know they sat in that chair and they, they gutted themselves mm-hmm. in front of a bunch of grown, bearded, yeah, yeah. tattooed men. <laughs> and they they it's just immediate that like I don't know you, but I, I know that I know that I can be open right now right. like th- those meetings you know what stays there what's said there stays there yeah. and uh mm-hmm. i think that that's you know continuing you know developing those relationships and continuing them afterwards is is really where i think that uh just yeah. a, a beautiful thing because like you said there's there's a lot of organizations that want to take people out on fly fishing trips and i think it's awesome yeah um but what about okay you took them on a weekend fishing trip what about the other Days. Well, and yeah. one of, one of the things, man, like like I realized, I've been, man, I got hurt in '04, and I, I've been, you know, I've done, I've worked for the government helping veterans, and and now I work in the pro, uh, private sector doing uh, helping veterans, and and one of the things that I realized, man, is after you come back on a trip, right, a lot of guys, man, they're like, like especially guys like like me, but a lot of guys are like, man, this is as good as it's gonna get, right? Like I just went to this awesome fly fishing lodge, had a great week. Everybody was waiting on me. It was all about, you know, me. and yeah, We have elk walking elk, through the yard oh, on yeah, the Madison like, River. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw a moose run through. Like, like that's as good as it's ever going to get. Yeah. So why do I need to keep on going? Exactly. And what we do is we keep keep them engaged. And like Casey said, those those kind of aftercare meetings that we do are really alumni, non-leadership, dri- heavy driven. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're the ones that are like, hey, let's do this. Let's get it going. Let's, hey, get on the call, right? And um, and trying to and keeping that 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 you know six day week that that high from that f- fishing trip kind of going throughout the year. Yeah. And then when the guys are are are, are bummed out and stuff, like we're the ones calling and checking on them. And well, then, exactly. You see that meeting, Jay and I and all the guys. We know the look. When you're doing bad, you can't hide it. Yeah. You're on a video meeting, man. It's written all over your face. And I don't know, Jay. What happens when you see someone like that in a meeting? I call them out on call it. Call right? them right there. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's 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 a hard truth and accountability group, and so I mean, I'm like, man, Casey, how are you doing? Oh, uh, and I'm if fine. I go and if I go good, what are you going to say, Jay? Are you really good? I don't think you're good, bro. Are you yeah. really good? Tell yeah. me, I know. 
And then Casey will be like, oh, man, you know, I did this, well. this, this. And he'll spill it. He'll spill Since it. you're he goes, asking. He goes, yeah, he goes. Turns he, out my life's falling apart. My wife's leaving. And then he goes, and nobody knows it. And I'm like, everybody knows it, Casey. You're the only one that doesn't realize that we exactly. all know that you're hurting, right? Like, like what Written can, all over like, you. Like, what do we need to do? How can we help? What, have you, are you working, not working your program, but are you working the resources that we have? You, you know, are you sticking to that plan? And no, okay, let's go over it again. All right, yeah. here it is. Like, here's some more resources. Here's some. Here's some deal, right? Like, or sometimes it's just hey, I, they need fishing. someone. They need someone to scream at on the phone. Yeah. If, brother, if that's what you need to do, if you need to just mf the world for for 45 minutes and just just go off, I'm here, man. Yeah. And then on those weekly meetings, you guys give them that space to absolutely, to do that event. Well. yeah, absolutely, yeah. to vent because they they feel like they can't. You know, they go back and they're like, I still can't talk to these people. And yeah. And a great example I have is, man, when I when I was home on R and R from Iraq, um, we were sitting there. My my uncle, he was a Vietnam vet, Purple Heart recipient, and never told a story about how he got hurt. Right, my my mother never heard him talk about it. My grandmother never heard him talk about it. My cousin never heard him talk about it. No, he never talked about Vietnam. And we're sitting there at the dinner table, and we're just sitting there having a good time and visiting and talking. And he starts talking about Viet. He asked me a few questions about Iraq, and and I share with him, and um, and then he starts talking about Vietnam. He tells about how he got hurt, and uh, I got like, like I got a big extended family, and we're there's like forty or fifty of us in this house, and and it's usually just, you know, that good chaos, right? People having a good time talking, it was just really quiet. And on the ride home, my my uh, my mom's like, yes, yeah, first time he's I've ever heard him talk about that. Like, but he but we had that shared bond, so he opened up about it, right? And so those meetings give the guys a chance to open back up about it to to release because. You know, if you don't keep it in, you're gonna. If you keep it in, you're gonna explode, mm, right? Absolutely. You have to be able to get it out, and then process it. Yeah, and that's the same thing. I mean, just to go back to real recovery, just because that's what I know. It's the same thing. Guys have cancer, mm-hmm. and then they don't feel like they can talk to anybody about it, but they're going through a really hard time. And uh, but this gives them the opportunity to talk with other people that are going through the same thing. They they open up. They want to talk about it. Yeah, I and think, then I and think when it's you awesome. when you talk about it, the the real beauty of that is when you talk about it in front of other people to another human being, it takes the power of those things yeah. away. Yeah. Mm. You know, when when all of a sudden I'm sitting there in a room full of dudes and I'm talking about getting shot and being in the hospital and you know just all the all the horrible stuff that went on, the more I tell that story, like now I can say it now it has no emotional appeal, mm. no emotional ties to it whatsoever it's just words now like Mm. that those events i've talked about them so much i've told my story that it just it doesn't have that that emotional grip on me that it used to well for me it's like like my story you know my testimony and all that it it's it's it became not so i mean it's still my my history right my story but i'm not reliving it every time i'm talking about it uh, it's it's almost like I'm a character in a, in a book, right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm telling this chronological history of something that really happened, mm. but I don't have that emotional, significant emotional attachment to it anymore. I'm not reliving that's it every time. And there's healing I think that's in awesome. It. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, and so then there's that deal. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets, right? If I get all the skeletons out, right, and you still like me, oh man, we're good friends, right? Like yeah. like you know all my deep, dark, dirty, and ugly. But you still want to spend time with me and hang out with me and That's check on me point. and all of that, right? Whereas, you know, if I keep that one thing back, and we get guys, man, we get guys that'll go on the op and they'll share ninety eight percent of what happened, 
That's right. And then they come back, and as the ops winding down, you can see it on you can see it in their face on the way <laughs> they're holding on to something that they want to share. Oh, yeah. But also, and there's they, something well, about they it. know that this might be their last opportunity to be around people that know this much about them and be that vulnerable. Yeah. And it's they, yeah. they know that once they get on that plane, that weight is still there. And like Jay's saying, the night before we leave, you know, some of these guys, I just got to tell you, they oh, yeah. they told some stuff. They see they saw how it felt, and all of a sudden, it's like I just had to. Or maybe it's something I wasn't ready to tell to a group yet, but I, I made a connection with this person on the trip, and I can tell you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? And the real beauty in that is that no matter what you tell me, I don't care how bad it is. At the end of the day, we're still going fishing after this, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, like nothing yeah. changed. Yeah. Like trout's still going to rise. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's on. Yeah, we had a lot of that in our – so on the op, I went on Casey and our roommates, and, man, we had some – Two, three o'clock in the morning, discussions going on just in our little little Absolutely. little room, right? Oh and, yeah, and uh, and then the deep, deep, right? Like I don't feel, yeah, like deep, he said, deep. he's like, I mean, I, I don't feel like sharing this in front of everybody, and he t- and, and we talk about it, and then the next day he'd be like, all right, you tell everybody a little, few more people, right? And he's just getting it out because he's he's like, we're not judging you for your past, right? Like we've all got a history, we've all got past, yeah, and so they're able to get that weight off, and then if they don't, then usually on the next next little you know Monday meeting. After the op, or a few weeks later, they're like, well, "I've really been struggling. I should have left this in, in, or a year later, or a year later. I should have left. <laughs> I should have left this at the river. Yeah. And uh, well, all right, hey man, cool. Get it off your chest. Let us know what's what else going you got. On. What else you yeah. got? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like okay. Like, yeah. Exactly. That's I, awesome. And right? and I know that we have. Uh, I know that we have combat vets that listen to our show. Mm-hmm. So what would you guys tell them? Um, like right now, if they're kind of like currently on the fence. If it was me, I feel like I'd be like, oh, man, I'm all in. I want to, you know, right. do this. What would you guys tell, tell them, them to? Tell them put their big boy britches on. Go to wildops.org. Apply and come out, man. Yeah. This ain't, this ain't, we, ain't, we ain't scamming you. We ain't doing nothing. Like the only our only intention there is to just go to one less funeral. Yeah. yeah. You know, like mm. we Jay and I have – I lost count how yeah, many of my brothers. Yeah, a lot. I, I, mean, I lost a ton on deployment, and I lost way more since we got home. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, my goal is if we get one less funeral. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's that's 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 the greatest thing. So yeah. if you're if you ever, you know, a lot of guys are like, well, I've, I've never fished or I've never fly fished or I was. Don't, don't matter. matter. Also, I can tell you now, you will catch the biggest fish. It happens every <laughs> single time. The guy's never touched a fly rod, catches the biggest yeah. fish. Uh, I, I bet on it. And, yeah, I, like, and I can account to If you've never flashed before, you can absolutely go on a trip like this. Oh, and yeah. you're going to have a better cast have, than most people because yeah, you learn the learn, right way. <laughs> and you're going to have a great time, you know. And um, so. How many people do you guys bring? Like, Great uh, question. We take, we take uh, so eight, you know, combat veterans. Okay. You know, what we call them operators. We take eight operators, and then we have, you know, between two and three facilitators okay. uh, that go along also. And like I said, there's six-day trips. These guys are, we, you know, we try to go out of our way and make sure. I know a lot of guys are like, well, can my buddy come along? And it's like, I know why you want your buddy to come along. You don't want to meet new people. You want to stay in your little yeah, bubble. Yeah. So we kind of go out of our way to make that, you know, where you don't make really sure that know doesn't anybody. happen. Because that's it. You know, we're getting you out, man. Like, you've you spent the last 10 years staying comfortable. Yeah. Like, leave the past fire at home. Yeah. yeah. We're, re- we're ready to ready to step up and do some growing fire. here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So eight people. And. And then so eight, eight people eight. who have never been on the trip before, yes, and then three facilitators. And then yes, usually, and there's a little support staff too. Like there's a yes. cook, and then you got the guides okay. at the lodge yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little, there's a few more kind of, kind of out of the house, right. uh, backroom people that are making it happen. And there's tons of people, you know, pre and, and pre weekend that are putting everything together and all. But yeah, yeah, it's and I would say like Casey was saying to me, if you're a combat vet and you're sitting here listening to this, or if you're somebody that's struggling, and you're listening to listen to this podcast, man. 
you know, like a lot of our guys, right? Like I don't deserve like to be happy. Yeah. I don't deserve the good things. I don't deserve to go on this trip because I made it. Bro, home I only I only got mortared twice, and here's Jay over here missing his legs. I, I don't yeah. I don't deserve to be. Yeah, you do. And so stop stop saying stop that. saying that. Right? Like yeah, man. Like like get back. We owe it for me. My mindset is. I owe it to the guys, that, the men and women that didn't make it home, not to come back to the U.S. and just survive, right? To thrive. But to thrive, right? To dominate it and, and to, to live a life worthy mm. of the sacrifice that they made to get me back home, right? And, and so in that, right, I have to do the work. I have to put in the work in my, my mental health recovery. I have to put in the work in my physical recovery. I have to engage with my wife and my kids, right? Like, I've got a beautiful wife and six gorgeous kids, right? And uh, I got a little, like, I got pallbearers. And, um... But you know, and, but I have to be able to engage in them because because I owe it to the, the men and women that didn't make it back to to live a good life and and to be happy. They want me to be happy. My brothers that didn't make it back, they want me to be happy. You know, that I, I owe it to them. And so so put on your big boy pants and uh, and and man back up, right? Like we're gonna call the warrior back out into you, and we're gonna get you to reengage with, with with life and, and get you out there thriving in it and dominating it. Because for me, like you've already signed up, and you know what it is to serve and sacrifice. So now we just need to serve and sacrifice in a different way. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's great. Yeah. What, uh, how do you guys uh, do your fundraising, and how do you guys actually put these – or how are you all able to put so many trips on? Great question. Uh, so we were entirely donation-based, mm-hmm. entirely, whether that be from individuals, from churches, from alumni, from companies. You know, we have a, a couple a couple organizations that would do what we call branded op. You know, you, throw, you give us $25,000, and this is – you know, this op has your name on it, you know, uh, mm. so that, that, that's the way we go about it. But really, I mean, it's a lot of it comes from individuals who yeah. just have a heart for the cause. You know, they, they, you know, you can go to wildops.org and donate or however it is. Um, and like I said, a lot of the alumni, you know, these guys go through it. It affected their life very, very deeply, very profoundly. Their wives see it, their moms see it, their, you know, all of these things and all, you know, and all of a sudden, those people want to give back a little bit, yeah. and boy, we sure do appreciate. Yeah, and we've it. got like we've got a company now that we're that's talking about doing. Um, like they they'll match what our alumni donate back, right? And so we we believe in like Casey and I believe in this 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 mission so much that we put our own money and time and effort and energy and talents into in, into it, right? And we're 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 giving back to to get to help our brothers and sisters, and, and so we've got you know everything from like little old ladies and. And you know, five dollars helps, and we got got those people, those corporate sponsors that want to come in and say, "Well, you know, we'll we'll pay for a branded op," and and uh, and so um, that's kind of how we make it. And then just you know, really word of mouth and knowing people that are impacted by it is 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 a big one too. And um, you have to have a connection to the cause you support, right? If it's like the the real recovery or the mm-hmm. the women fishermen or or the you know the any of that stuff. If you have a, if you have a connection, if you have a lover or family member that's that's been impacted by any kind of disability or mental health disability or anything like that, you're you're more likely to pick up that cause and run with it. And we have we have some really good people that are very passionate about giving back to our combat vets and, and helping them to get back into that life where they can they can thrive and they can make those connections and um, uh, with their loved ones and family and community. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, why don't we end on? Would you guys? Uh, you know, without saying any names or anything, maybe give a testimonial of, you know, someone that was heavily impacted on the trip and like in a very good way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's really, there's, there's any number of, but Mm -hmm. there's, yeah, without, without saying any names, I mean, we've, we've had, we've had guys that, you know, are suicidal suicidal or or planned on, they're like, this was going to be my last hoorah. You know, like I was, 
And I was going to go home and put a gun in my mouth. And they, mm. they come back, and, you know, I, like I said, the wildlife scene is initiated deeper level. I ain't, I ain't going to fix you. Yeah. But I'm going to initiate that. You're going to come back on fire, hopefully. You're going to come back and, like, okay, well, I heard about this recovery, this, that, you know, this type of counseling. Oh, you, you did this type of marriage thing? You did EMDR treatment? Yeah. You did you know, all this? Like, oh, and that worked for you? Well, I very, you know, it initiates that where guys come home, they're like, okay, there is hope. I can get better. And now these guys have told me what worked for them. You know, yeah, and got, you guys follow him up with him weekly, <coughs> and we follow up with exactly. him weekly. We've got yeah. we've got a guy that, we've got a guy that was like Casey was saying was suicidal the week of, and and, and planned on and had a plan to, to to die, that or actually had a plan to die the week that we contacted him and say we're going to take you on op. Yeah, and he's like, well, I'll wait till after the op, right? Like, yeah. I'll do some fly fishing, and then and then after the after the op, he comes back and now he's a facilitator, right? Yeah. We've got guys that have come through and they're like, you know, I'm. I'm really worried when I get home, my wife's going to have packed up and left, right? Like, like we are, we, it is that bad at the house. We're talking about divorce, and I think she's just going to be gone by the time I get home. And so part of what we do is we have a, have a program that, that runs alongside ours called Overwatch for the spouses. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, so um, it's, and it's, and it's our facilitators, spouses, and, and, and some other people that are reaching out and just, and just loving on the spouses while we're up there doing our, you know, working with the vets. And then um, when, uh, you know, four or five of them were, you know they they came back and then the husband's like you know I'm I'm ready to do counseling like like I was I wronged you I'm sorry like like I just I need your forgiveness in this and I I am I'm genuinely committed to getting better and working on this and and if not for us then for the kids mm. and they're still in the in the family unit is still together right like everything's not rainbow sunshine unicorns and um you know <clears throat> all that but but they're working on it and it's getting better yeah. and putting in the work and yeah. so I mean we've got you know you know. You know, you know, I'd say hundreds of of testimonies that are like that, where, where, where they've come back off the op and they've started turning their life around and they're whether re-engaged. that's putting down the bottle, um, yeah. getting off pornography, you know, what whatever those vices are that those guys have, they come back motivated to do something about yeah. it. Because I've been there, I totally just signed up to the fact that this is how I am for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm gonna, and I'd already. It it would it was too painful. The thought of you know getting better was still more painful than continuing the way I was going. Mm, yeah. And it's really once once you realize that it's actually more painful to keep going the way you're going than mm-hmm. to go ahead and rip that band aid off. Yeah. That's when the good stuff and, happens. And even just making like the connection, like we've got a guy we know that that he uh, he was like, man, I got all these men that want to reach out and they want to help me, but I just don't know about them. I just don't know. If, I don't know because I just don't trust people. And he comes out on the op, and he goes, "Well, I can trust these guys." And then, then the, kind of the back, the uh, the backroom guys, or, or a lot of them aren't combat vets. Some of the guys, like, and um, and so, oh, these guys are pretty cool, and and they want to help me. And then, the, then they get back in their local community, and they kind of go, "Hey, I just did this trip. It was really cool. Like, let's go hang out. Let's go fishing. Let's go do whatever." And they make those connections in their community, and then they have safe people that are right there that see them in, in every day. Mm. They can that they that they trust that they can make that connection with and they can do life with, and and they're they're thriving in it right and um, and so that's really the goal right is to is to is to help them find a community help them find some healing and then help them to reengage with that their family loved ones and community and especially if we're, you know we're, we bring in veterans from all over the country right all demographics right we bring in bringing guys that are that are um, you know all, all races religion creeds and all over the, all over the country. And so, you know, most of us, most of the facilitators just happen to be in Texas because Texas is really cool and and uh, greatest state in the nation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I know that's right. And um, and so, uh, but 
you know, so they kind of make those connections. Oh man, you're in New, you're in North Carolina. Well, I'm in North Carolina, and they kind of make a little connection in the group with their exactly. groups of, of vets in North Carolina. Oh man, you live in California. Well, we get a text from them out there for dinner one night. You know, just two guys oh, yeah. that you know we met six months ago out on a fishing trip, and they decide to go meet up in Raleigh, North Carolina, or yeah. wherever. Yeah. You know, yeah. or, hey, let's go hit up the Pisgah National Forest or some trout oh, yeah. or wherever. Yeah. And it's so cool to get these pictures. Like I remember when you two met. Yeah. I remember you actually didn't like each other very much. <laughs> yeah, sure. you know? yeah, and doing those kind of things, or they're hanging out with their 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 families are hanging out together now, and they're getting together and checking on each other, and and so you know it's a beautiful thing to see a see a combat go that go from there's no hope, there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel to coming out on the other side, going, man, I'm 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 doing better, right? Life is better, and not only am I doing better, but I want to help my other brothers and mm. sisters find the same kind of healing that I have found. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not getting by. I'm getting ahead. I'm get, Yeah, I'm getting ahead. How many uh, volunteers are there total for you guys? <sighs> I don't know. I have to ballpark that at like 18 or 20. Okay. okay. Uh, but I, I may be way undershot. I think, I think you're probably way undershot because we have, you know, we. No, you know they, what? Including the Overwatch there, I'm uh, way under. You're way under. Because we, we have, while we pay for a lot, we, you know, we, 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 we go to the guides and we're like, hey, we want to come on this trip and we pay, for, we pay price for it, right? Like, I want to go. And I want to fish your best week, and I want to take these guys out on trophy fish. I don't want the I don't want the preacher buck, right? I don't want the, I don't want the preacher trout. I want the I want the the best. I want I want, I I want, want your, the trophy. I want your A game, right? And right, I'm gonna pay right. you for your A game. This isn't a donated <coughs> guide trip, and right. we, we pay yeah. we pay these guides for a reason. For yeah. Yeah. You're a local expert, and I don't want your oh well, we're doing this, you know, uh, the hunt. No, <laughs> you're doing it because we're paying you. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And, we, and that's and that's not in a mean way. It's, because we want these guys to have the full experience. This isn't a discount trip. Right. And then, this is these guys are getting the the work. Exactly. And then what happens though is those guys kind of add on and they throw more into it, right? Like yeah. like yeah. And so and then the you got people in the communities that come and throw on stuff. Like our Tennessee trip, we've got a family that takes the guys up to their their place up in the mountains and they they provide their ATVs and side by sides and the guys go mudding and bogging and oh yeah that's and awesome. pond fishing and they do a little campfire and a feed and. And so there's there's all these little where we have ops and where we've had multiple ops. We have these these core volunteers that just show up and help, yeah. and then we've got volunteers you know on our on our, our vetting. You know we don't have a whole lot of whole lot of paid staff. I'm not sure if we have any paid staff, but we got a few now. Yeah, you not know, too like, many though. Like yeah. some some of but that, and that's part of the five. You know, yeah, we're very open about our our finances. You guys want to know where the money goes? We'll show you. Yeah, yeah. because it's. Not many people are getting paid. Yeah, you know, some yeah. photographers because Jay and I are too dumb to figure out a camera. <laughs> no, we want you know, like again, we want we want we want the guys to have good photos, remember the trips, and we want absolutely we want to pay for the services that we're utilizing. But you know, we get so much more in return because they see the mission, they see the cause. But yeah, we have there's a lot of volunteers. I, there's an organization that it's kind of like this when we joke around. You know, we got paid staff. Yeah, we paid to be here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, and so, uh, so, but we, you know, but we believe in the mission, and and so we have, we have. I'd say we probably have across the country, probably have about a about a hundred people that volunteered Absolutely. in some sort of capacity, you know, and and whether it's 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 in time or, or in kind donations or something like yeah. that, and and uh, you know, and taking care of everything, and so so we do that. But you know, it does it costs a lot to fly guys from California to to Arkansas to go fishing or. Because that's where the level of 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 the the op is, right? Mm-hmm. Or or to 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 bring them all out and to have waiters and 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 flies. I mean, you're, you're, booking, you're booking guide trips on on the river. This is five hundred dollars a boat. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we're bringing out 
eight guys plus facilitator. You know, we're looking at we're looking at five boats yeah. for six days. You know, or four to however many days we're fishing, like that adds up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Real quick, and then yeah. food and, and lodging food, and everything. Yeah. And, and it's not. On top oh, and it's it. it's like five course meal. I mean, it's it's five star meals. Oh yes, all the time, right? Like you're not going to come back from a wild up hungry a sous vide buffalo. <laughs> <or> oh, <laughs> you're going to gain weight, right? You're yeah. gonna get, oh, like, <laughs> you'd be like, how did I how did I pack into the high country and come back 15 pounds heavier? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah, your wife's going to have questions. Yeah. I thought y'all were hiking, <laughs> right? How'd like, you come back heavier. Come back heavier. And so, but yes. Yeah, so, but we have, you know, the the volunteers that help coordinate all that, and then the just picking guys up from the airport and, and the logistical side of it, especially when we start getting into some a lot of, our, of moving yeah. parts. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so, but yeah, it takes a lot of people to make it happen, but man, it's so worth it. Well, you guys, uh, where can people find out about y'all? Where are the yeah. best places? The, I mean, www.wildops.org is good start but we're also on facebook and instagram on instagram it's wild ops for vets facebook it's wild ops uh we're very active on i'm the director of social media so i put everything on there so you you guys get to see you know especially if you're interested on going it going on a trip we're going up to arkansas next week got tennessee the montana and just all over so if you want to see what it's like go go get on our instagram yeah go check Mm -hmm. our story we'll show you exactly what's going down and you can see if you're a little hesitant or whatever Go check our stories every week or so and just see, does that look like something you want to do? Go on over. Love to get you out. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then uh, what do you guys, What do you do? You are a guide, right? Yes, sir. Uh, I guide w- over at uh, Living Waters uh, out there in Round Rock. I'm yep. sure you guys all familiar with uh, those fine people. Uh, I guide out on the Lano River specifically, uh, or at least when I can help it. Yeah. yeah. Where? Yeah. Okay, so you're out on the Lano. What uh, Do you do the... The Lano Lano or do you the South Lano? Because I do a lot of floats out on the South Lano. No, I, I specifically specialize pretty much from Castell down. Uh, okay. That, that's uh, Castell, the town of Lano. I can push out to Mason, you know, and yep. stuff like that. But really, yeah. really what I'm looking at is, you know, that, that area from, you know, around Lano itself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is. Are you on a raft? Out, if you've ever are been Are you on a raft? Oh, no, sir. Those are all walk-in. That's just the, the nature of, of the river down Yeah, there. I was going to yep. say because it's so. We, we could do a raft, but I'll be. I'll be dragging. Yeah, I'll it's be dragging so, you a long way. That, I was gonna say that part of the river is so wide and it's so like grainy. Yeah. Oh, those, those little rock gardens. Yeah, rock are gardens. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, the, the the same reason I can't float. I can't float is the same reason why. I mean, you love it. It's just so many. Yeah. Fish. Yeah. 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 So many, and you're you know where I won't mention any names. There's certain rivers <laughs> where. You get out and you're oh, another person. But you get out on the Lano, you see yeah. a dude with the fly rod, like, hey, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. How's it going? I don't, I don't, I don't think you have to mention names. I think everybody knows. Which river? <laughs> <laughs> We're on it. <laughs> but like I said, and they're all great rivers, like I said. It's just, but for me, and like like I said, it's being, when I go out fishing, I like to be, I, I don't want to be around other people. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want to worry about, is this guy going to be hopping down into this hole? I want to, go out and be alone and that's the kind of experience that i want to bring to people yeah. is that that true hill country slash west texas you got the pink granite out there in Lano. Yeah. you got just it's just an awesome you know an awesome vibe and that's i really fell in love with yeah. it yeah so if people want to book a trip with you what's the way to do that uh go to living waters uh you can call up there and do it you can go online or you can come into the shop say hi to all the fine people and check out the uh all of our fly time material and everything else. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, uh, again, all of the links will be in the description below. Yeah. Uh, this podcast. Right so you guys can just scroll down. You can find info about Wild Ops. If you guys want to book a trip with Casey, the link will be there. And uh, I hope you guys support them. And I hope 
it would be awesome if one of our listeners went on a wild ops trip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would be pumped. Yeah. I absolutely. would. We would get them on the podcast. <laughs> In fact, let's let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah Whoever, let's do There's it. someone listening. Well, I could do, do it. Let's yeah. hear it. Yeah, yeah. and then we're gonna the get one. you on the, the podcast, guy. and we want to hear about, about the trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. good, the bad. Tell them like it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's our goal. So if you guys, or even if uh, you know someone, if you're listening and you know someone in your life who would like this, absolutely. Please, yes. And Put we will the have direction. them on the show. We want to, uh, if they want to come on, uh, yeah, but yeah, we yes, want definitely. someone from this podcast to go on a wild ops trip. Yes. So we'd love that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for coming on, and thanks to everybody for listening. And we will catch y'all next week. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>